you know, I will tell you this now. The day that you post that you bought the 1942 soundtrack is the day I schedule an intervention for <laughs> Shoot the core, cast. Welcome to Shoot the Core Cast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly Shmup-themed podcast that has the balls to capture your heart. From RF Generation, I'm Metal Fro, also known as Game Boy Guru, and my co-pilot on this mission is... Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups. And we have with us a guest today, a longtime participant in the Shmup Club, and first-time guest to the podcast, Zoido. Welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for the invitation, and hello to everyone out there. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for asking me, yeah. Yeah, so before we kick, kick things off, uh, just so you all know, uh, if you want to uh, connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast. You can follow me directly on Twitter at GameboyGuru. You can find all the links to the relevant podcast places, such as the various feeds and uh, our Redbubble shop, where you can buy t-shirts at linktr.ee slash shootthecorecast. And uh, if you would, please uh, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your preferred platform. You can also join the RF Generation Discord channel, and uh, that's linked from the front page of rfgeneration.com. We do have a dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic in there where we talk shmups, uh, post con- uh, commentary and screenshots or photos of our high scores for the games that we're playing, and just talk uh, shooting games in general. And because I stream the Shmup Club Game of the Month uh, multiple times during the course of the month, if you'd like to watch that and come interact there, you can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash guru gameboy. And the RF Generation community is also great. It allows you to interact with us as well as find out, you know, if, if you've got 50 copies of Deep Space Wife who you just forgot about, you know, I, I'm guilty of that as well. I, I, I've used it to keep track of my collection, and it's one of the most robust databases out there. I mean, haven't you found yourself in the same situation game one where you just say oh my goodness this is i own deep space waifu unlimited i I shouldn't buy this i can't say that i have found myself in that situation nor do i wish that on anyone um but i have one day but i have occasionally picked up a duplicate of something so yeah the database can help you save that save yourself from that situation um and uh the forum is also a uh, good place with some good discussion and uh, fun articles on the front page. Yeah, you, you know, you find out you accidentally own that second copy of Dar- Darius Rucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's all right. The database can hold your hand so that you don't do that. All right. 
Well, let's get started with our question of the month that I threw out on Twitter. Uh, so, G. Darius allows you to capture an enemy and use it against its own side. What other games do you enjoy that allow you to turn the tables on the enemy like that? And actually, funny enough, Zoido, you were the first one to respond, so I'll let you uh, explain your answer. Yeah, it seems like I'm the only one um, that, does, that didn't think about a shmup right away. Um, the first thing, first thing that came to my mind was Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, I don't know. I also thought about... Um, oh, what's the name of the alien game? Uh, the first thing that thing that came to my mind was uh, hacking enemies, and on um, Horizon Zero Dawn just came to my mind, and I really enjoyed playing it. So uh, that's a game where I uh, took advantage of the possibility to hack enemies and let them attack other enemies, and yeah, that's fun. <laughs> Yeah, that, that sounds like fun. Uh, I haven't played Horizon Zero Dawn yet, but it's on my list. I have a copy on PS4 uh, that I got cheap. I just haven't uh, haven't got through enough of the backlog to, to pop that one in yet. Um, well, you need to stop playing Breath of the Wild for the 500th time, and then you can play it. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's really one of my favorite open-world uh, adventure games and um, one of my favorite games for PlayStation 4. Nice. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to playing it eventually. But yeah, uh, like Addicted said, I am in fact addicted to Breath of the Wild. I'm looking forward to play Horizon Forbidden West, but um, I need to get my hands on a PS5 first. Oh, yes. Yeah, we saw one of those mythical beasts out and around <laughs> at a pawn shop. It was $800. What? Yeah. $800. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, at Vinu Shmup says, It's not exactly like that, but I like the mechanic in Gyrus when you steal enemies' fire shot. So cool. Yeah, we, we covered Gyrus here a while back, and that is definitely one of the big hooks in that game, is is the ability to sort of take your, your firepower from enemies. Now, that is a little bit of a risk-reward, of course, and also a bit of a crapshoot, because sometimes the weapons that you get from an enemy are not great, and even when they're fully powered up, uh, if you've uh, used the, the TOZ system to steal that power up multiple times, sometimes it's still not great. Uh, so, yeah, you definitely have to learn which, which power-ups are actually worth using. Yeah, in that game, the mullet paw or beats them all, but it's extremely hard to get. Which one? The mullet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. The. Can you say guy or us? J- Jamie Bunker is is too powerful for us all. Indeed. Our next comment comes to us from Dan Maku G. Makras Scramble Valkyrie. Zaxxon Motherbase 3000 and Macross, when you stop shooting, appears a force field around the ship. Getting close to most enemies lets it use it, lets you use it as an invincible option. In Zaxxon, it's the base of its gameplay. You jump on enemies and hack them to use them as firepower for extra hits. 
Huh. Was this a game you were looking for earlier, Zoido? The uh, Zaxxon? No. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah, Zaxxon Motherbase 3000. Just sound, I mean, that's too good a name to, for us to let go. We'll have to add that into our list. Yeah, unfortunately, being a 32X game, it'll be a little bit less accessible. But I definitely want to... Um, I definitely want to play that one at some point. That's true. That's why you unleash the power of the mister. The, yes, very much so. At 32 Ambit says, probably cheating to say Darius Gaiden, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wouldn't call it cheating because Darius Gaiden is basically the game that um, came up with the idea of capturing mini-bosses. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, that's valid, I think. I tweeted back at thirty at thirty two Mbit and said, uh, "Absolutely not. It's fair game." Yeah. Uh, at SPM underscore NSW says, "Can't think of many. Gallica could be the first to introduce this, although I never found it that useful with the extra large hitbox." Takumi games also come to mind. Gigawing and Mars Matrix are really satisfying. The latter a bit more brutal than satisfying, maybe. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> Our next comment comes to us from Hakarusi. Uh, sorry, Hakarusi. Someone already said it, but I want to stress that Gigawing's flagship parry is one of the most satisfying mechanics I've ever experienced in a shmup, both from the scoring and damage part. Sometimes it feels like playing tennis, and it is darn satisfying i love it i apologize i had to edit out a little bit here to keep it family friendly <laughs> that's all right another one that came to my mind was um trigger heart exelica that lets you capture enemies and throw them back at other enemies like uh slingshot wise that's a pretty cool feature too yeah that's a fun mechanic uh at big core mk2 says those of us that remember and pray for a sequel that will never come, Einhander on the PSX. The manipulator arm mechanic that lets you use wep enemy weapons was just plain fun. My favorite was double flash cannons. Yeah, and for me, in terms of shmups, this is the one that came to mind first, other than the game we're discussing today, uh, because, yeah, there's so much versatility with it that uh, you, can, you can use any of the weapons that enemies drop. And, of course, that's how you pick up new weapons or how you refill ammo and so forth. And, uh, of course, we've already covered Einhander on the podcast early on. But, yeah, definitely one that comes to mind. And, of course, I, I can't, for myself, I can't go through this segment without also mentioning Breath of the Wild, since it was brought up already. Because there's a lot you can do in that regard in that game as well. Um you know, there are enemy camps that have explosive barrels. They will try to throw those barrels at you. If they do, uh, you can use one of your uh, one of your abilities to freeze that barrel in midair and then shoot at it with an arrow or something so that it will go back at the enemies and hit the ground and explode. Uh, you can also try and sneak into an enemy camp and sometimes steal their weaponry so that you can use it against them. Um, so lots of ways to lots of ways to to do that kind of thing and turn the tables on enemies in uh, in creative ways in that game. 
Right. Um, the game I was looking for was Alien Isolation for PS4. It lets you hack the droids and um, so they attack each other. And uh, yeah, that was the one I was thinking about before. Oh, ah. That's an excellent choice. And um, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order also has a hacking mechanics. That's nice too. Ah, cool. I've heard good things about that game. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, for me, I would have to say Chod Chabadi. Uh, sorry, <laughs> you know my Japanese pronunciation skills are as good as Mark MSX. Everyone knows this, but Cho <laughs> uh, Chadubai Gaishi or the table flipping game from Taito literally flip the tables on you. And if you're looking for extra credit, Othello for the NES. Oh, sure. Everyone's played that game and wondered, why am I playing this? <laughs> nice. Yeah, I was trying to think of the name of it. I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's a, another more recent indie shmup that is... It's an auto-scrolling game, and it's a shmup in a sense, but it's sort of like tennis, where you're in space and you have these kind of... I don't know, high-tech tennis racket things, and you can sort of whack enemy bullets back at them. Um, well, if you, if you use those criteria and you use your imagination enough, Pawn could satisfy those requirements. Sure. Yeah, I just can't remember what the game is called. But it looked uh, it looked kind of charming. Well, I mean, you could if you were using something like that, you could also use a game such as Wrist System, in order to say that, right, you're, t you're using your enemy's bullets on there and ch using that back. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that would count. And isn't uh, Shield Maiden another great uh, dojin based upon that type of mechanic? Yeah, Shield Maid MX, it, it kind of does in a way. I mean, you're not reflecting bullets back at enemies, but you are using their bullets against them in the sense that You, you use the shield to collect their bullets so that you can power up your own ship, therefore making you more powerful and more easily able to take out each new wave of enemies. So, yeah. And, yeah, the other thing I was thinking about is, maybe, correct me, my memory is hazy here, but isn't this also a similar mechanic to the day we fought space? Doesn't that use the same thing? Um, I want to say one of the weapons in the day we fought space um, might allow you to do something similar to Trigger Heart, where you either capture an enemy or reflect it back at uh, another. Yeah, I don't remember for or sure. I mean, here, here's one game that I'm certain you could sort of put under there. How about Pokemon? Turn Capturing the enemy, turn your tables and use their stuff against them. Oh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Alrighty, well, thank you everyone who uh, sent in an answer. I know I kind of threw the question out a little bit on the late side, but uh, uh, it was good to get a few a few good responses. And so, thank you everyone who who bothered to write write in one. Um, so let's move on to our focus shot, which is kind of our year long. Uh, ongoing discussion about a game and of course for 2022 that is Mushihime-sama um, 
and much like last month, I didn't have a lot of time to play, although I, I did put a little bit in, and um, it seems like I'm beginning to build some muscle memory with this game, because when I went back and played it again, uh, after it had been a little bit since I'd played, I managed to get through stage one without any problems, and I got through stage two uh, on my second attempt of, of getting through that, and actually managed to no-miss both stage one and stage two on one of my runs, and got into uh, toward the end of stage three, and might have actually got my new PB. Uh, so I was pretty pleased with that, but yeah, it's, it feels like I'm beginning to to build some muscle memory with this game to where even when I haven't played it in, uh, you know, a couple of weeks or so, I can come back to it and um, remember a lot of what it is that I need to do in order to uh, to get through at least the early part of the game. Good. I'm looking forward to your blindfolded run on Shmup Slam 16. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but... Uh, but I feel like, at least from a practice standpoint, it, it's going to be easier for me to come back to this game again and again, so that I can, uh, so that I can quickly find a groove, and then jump back into wherever it is that I need to uh, need to, um, you know, need to practice. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, in some ways you could say that shmups are like golf. They are a mental game, and being in the right mindset goes a long way to, in order to figure out the patterns and playing your best. I would also say, at least for me, I found out that playing on a smaller screen seems to help. Because I tried playing on my 50-inch TV here, and it uh, <laughs> it was disastrous, to say the least. Versus playing on 24-inch monitor, it's so much better. I, I don't know if you've had that same experience. A little bit. I mean, my setup here that I've got, I've got my new TV. It's a 65-inch. And then I've got my old 55-inch TV set up in Tate next to it. And so that's what I use for uh, OBS when I stream and, and things. But sometimes I will occasionally play a game in Tate on that screen and it uh it can be um a little bit overwhelming just because of how large it is even though i'm you know seven eight feet away from it yeah i, I think you might be right when i play it i certainly played a lot better on my regular tv even though it's 65 inch the area that i'm looking at you know is is about two-thirds the height uh, and width, or the two-thirds the height of my 55-inch TV, maybe even less. Um, so, yeah, it, with that more compact view or smaller view of the playfield, I can take more of it in quickly and get a better sense of, of you know, what I'm looking at and bullets and enemy locations and things. So yeah, I think there's there's probably a sweet spot in terms of what what the size is of a a good screen for vertical STG. 
and I, I don't know what that is, but I'm, I would imagine that it's probably, it's probably closer to what I see on my, my regular TV than on this giant 55-inch vertical monitor. <laughs> <laughs> the, the way that I sort of described it and asked you the question, I sort of jokingly thought it sounds like the good test for a school science experiment, right? An elementary school science experiment. Does playing schmuffs on a smaller screen impact your play? Mm. There you but go. mom, it's for school. Yeah, exactly. And science. So maybe when your son's a little older, uh, you can uh, you can have him do that as a science project. There we go. And then we can report oh. on the podcast. <laughs> um, what about you, Zordo? Have you played Mushi much? Um, I haven't played uh, last month, but I played a few runs in March, I guess, in a range mode, um, which is the most fun mode for me, I think. Um, but yeah, I haven't played since then, so <laughs> there's not much worth speaking about. <laughs> sure. Well, so I'm curious. I haven't spent much time with the range mode other than when I first bought the digital version on the Switch, I messed around with it for a few minutes, but I haven't really gone back to it since I've been concentrating on original, uh, you know, Mushi 1.0. So I'm curious as to what you think makes a range the most fun. Um, I really can't tell right away. It's uh, It's been too long. I don't... I can't. I can't pick um, the differences between the between the modes right now. I need to get back at it and um, play some play some more runs. I didn't play Orange much before um, when the game came out last year. I guess I played a lot of version 1.5, but uh, I haven't much play time in Orange mode. So I yeah really can't point out what's different. Um, from the other modes. Hmm. Yeah, from what I, the discussion I've seen online, it seems like 1.5 and a range kind of jockey back and forth as the favorite or what people find to be the most fun. So it'll be interesting going forward uh, to put a little bit of time into those modes and get a sense of what makes them different from the original and, uh, you know, see if, if we can can figure out what it is that that uh, people think is more fun about those modes than the original arcade release. It has an autobomb feature and um, I guess uh, more bullets but also more cancelling but I can't tell for sure. Hmm. I wonder, do you know if the autobomb does the thing where when you autobomb it empties your whole stock? I guess that's the case, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. So definitely risk-reward there, yep. um, which I know some people enjoy those those elements. Okay, cool. Uh, anything else to say on Mushi this month, uh, Addicted? Other than I need to play more as well. Um, <laughs> I, I hit the battleship bug as I was playing and trying to get to that last stage of their... And did a couple runs of stage four. You're just as you experienced the first two stages, which one seemed pretty fast, or now seem pretty tame. But that's typical cave, right? You build up your expectations on stages one and two, only to crush them with stage three. <laughs> yeah, I know that. <laughs> so stage, yeah. stage three is three is usually where it ends for me too. 
Yeah, it's a bit of a run killer. Yeah. Yeah, I was excited to see, and we should mention this in the news section coming next, that the ports for limited run was doing further. I saw Escaluda 2 and uh, what the heck was the other one? Oh, Escaluda 2. Um, they were doing the one. The, what's the other cave game that came out? Uh, the, D- DDP Res, y- right? Yeah. Was that right? D- yeah. So many acronyms. I swear I'm. Like DDP, REDB. It's, it's almost like it's getting to the point of. Uh, of uh, Dance Dance Revolution, right? DDR Ultramax, and you know, uh, <laughs> but there was that, and they announced another shmup too that was coming, didn't they? Oh, R2. They're porting the Super Nintendo version of Rendy Ranger to the Switch, you know. Yeah. They thought they'd start out, you know, with the big stuff first, like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that's a good segue to get us into shmup news. So. First, uh, right out of the gate, I got to mention, because it was kind of what everyone says was the game was shadow dropped. Basically, a new game called Drainus was released on Steam with no warning, no fanfare, uh, no notice of any kind. But it's from uh, developers Team Ladybug, who did the Record of Lodos War, Deedlet in Wonder Labyrinth game as well as uh, Toho Luna Nights, both of of which are sort of Metroidvania style. And uh, as far as I know, this is the team's first shoot-em-up. And generally speaking, it has been well-received, although a lot of folks are saying that the game is quite easy, and really the only challenge comes when you beat the game and unlock the the harder modes. Um, One of them is, I think it's called Ridiculous Mode or something like that. Uh, and then the game gets much more, much more challenging and and a little bit more in line with the traditional uh, difficult shooting game. But it definitely looks cool. Has a little bit of a of a mechanic that I think is similar to Devil Engine, where you can sort of cancel bullets. If nothing else, it has people talking about STGs again. I see. A couple of, like, I saw a couple Japanese uh, Twitch streamers trying to beat the hardest modes and do speed runs of it. So it's definitely got an audience out there, and it it'll be interesting to see it g- gain some traction and gain a little bit of following. Maybe it'll be done at Summer Games done quick. I'm really liking these indie, these well, these Dojin games there come out in Drainus, and then uh, a couple months ago, Soulstar. Mm, yes. Which I think is also now getting physical release. Really awesome to see, see that people are giving us a care and attention for every single one of these where it looks like you know, Atari 2600 game. We see these excellent and well thought out and well loved new Dojin games. So definitely keep it up and you know, keep Reach, reaching for the moon is I I love seeing stuff like this and playing new stuff. I don't care if it's a finger that shoots lasers or if it's a, you know a Neko Navy. Keep at them. Right. Yeah. If you look at the Steam page for Drainus, you can see there's been someone who's been consistently streaming it here lately. So it's it's definitely getting some attention. Oh, also, if you're in the U.S., D-Lit in Wonder Labyrinth. I don't know what the heck is going on, but if you see a copy out there that's a U.S. copy, definitely pick it up for the Switch and PS5. Those 
seem to be staying consistent in like sixty to seventy dollars. Wow! Because Red Art Games did produce maybe a thousand couple thousand copies or something of that game. There, I want to say it'd be long before Radical Reggie or Metal Jesus or somebody on there puts it up there as a hidden gem before price increases and we see it go sell for lots of money on Wada Games. Mm, yeah. But it, it's uh, Deedlet's not bad. Wonder Labyrinth, uh, Toho Luna Nights. I uh, that's that you know we were talking about um, DDR and all the different flavors that they have. To- that doesn't even compare to Toho. I'm losing track on what the heck they could do for Toho. It wouldn't surprise me if one day there's a Toho Monopoly game or Toho Scrabble and <laughs> stuff. It's just out there. Uh, so. Uh, what is Toho Luna Nights? Was that the like the, the shooting game, the one where they ride each other, the one where they play a board game? Which one is this? No, Toho Luna Nights is a uh, is a Metroidvania style, and it actually looks pretty cool. So I might have to check that one out. Oh, sounds good. We can. Um, it's to- Metroidvania. Oh, there you go. You got two games now. No, three. Horizon Zero Dawn, Horizon Forbidden West. And now you have Toho Luna Nights. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll have enough of these type that we can start calling them Tohovanias. Maybe at least we wouldn't have to pay Jeremy Parrish a uh, fee every time we say the word Metrovania anymore. That's true. All right, we uh, next news snippet is a new Japanese doujin shooter, Eyes Plus, just dropped. On June 10th, from uh, developer-publisher Takayaka, made with the Shmup Creator Tool. It uses vector graphics, like an early arcade title, think along the lines of Star Wars Arcade or the Infamous Tempest. Oh, Space Tool. (laughs) But a Don Maku shooting game. Other game from Takayama is River River City Ransom Kunio's. Cool, uh, Kunio Kun style adventure game beat up called Yume Core. I swear that Kumi, that you put River City Ransom Kunio Kun style game in there, that's like a tongue twister. Say that over and over again. Yeah, yeah, and this one just dropped on June 10th, and um, it looks very interesting. And a lot of the early feedback I've seen across uh, the shooting game Discord. Uh, communities has been positive from people who have been playing it. So it, it definitely looks neat. Uh, you know, think about think about playing a Danmaku-style game on a Vectrex or on a Vector Arcade machine. Like I said, you know, an early game like Space Duel or something like that. Multicolored Vector art. Um, it looks neat. So I'm definitely going to have to give that one a try. You know, uh, we uh, when you think back upon this, with the type of technology that we have now, with these, where we're getting to the point where beyond high definition, whatever marketing term you want to run with this. But I remember there being a lot of buzz around the time that the Atari Classics collection, the one, two, and three, came over to the PS4. Because the monitors and stuff were finally good enough that they could do a pretty accurate representation of what a vector monitor looked like. Not not only that, we now ha- have titles 
or have, have improved in history of STGs looking really well with vector style graphics. With, I mean, think back to Geometry Wars. Mm-hmm. That would be one that I would love to to do again. So I am definitely looking forward to playing this game. Yeah, and unfortunately, even with OLED screens, you still can't quite replicate the the glow that you get from a a true vector monitor. But um, it's still cool to see people using that style and uh, you know trying to do new things with it. Yeah, I'd say with all the monitors or TVs you have around you, you're probably doing a pretty good job of emulating that glow. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, another new Japanese Dojin title released for free is Open Arms Maximum for developer Kanzaki. Another Danmarku-style shooter with a high-energy soundtrack. Kanzaki also recently released System 45 for an, uh, another shooter with simple line art. I played System 45. Oh, yeah? But I didn't hear about uh, about Open Arms Maximum. Yeah, Open Arms Maximum just came out within the last two weeks, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, and so it, it looks good. Um it seems like the sound effects might be a bit simplistic, but from the trailer, the, the soundtrack uh, was pretty rocking, and the game looks solid, so uh, definitely have to try it. And it is free to download. I won't, I w- won't be able to have the link in the, in the show notes, but um, if you just search for Kanzaki Open Arms Maximum, you'll be able to find uh, the page and uh, check out the the site and Kanzaki is very much a shooting game fan because if you go to the Kanzaki's website there are a ton of links to different shooting games and sort of rating and recommending them and doing short reviews and screenshots so Kanzaki is obviously a big STG uh, fan <laughs> Cool. Mm-hmm. Gotta check this one out. Yeah, I'll have to link you to the to the page. Um, next up, uh, I'm, at this point, I'm sure we're all familiar with Capcom Arcade Stadium, and now Capcom Arcade Second Stadium has been announced. Uh, it's slated for release July 21st. Um, the The free game this time around is going to be the sort of auto-scrolling platformer slash shooting game Sun Sun. And then at this point, the only other shmups in this collection that have been announced are 1943 Kai, Eco Fighters, and Last Duel. Uh, and I think there are 50 games in this bundle. There's a lot of fighting games in it too, like the Darkstalkers and, and Night Warriors series and several Street Fighter games and other things, but... Yeah, I, I'm glad to see Last Duel finally getting a release. Um, the the previous time that we had that available to us was on uh, the Capcom Classics Collection releases from the PS2 and Xbox era, and then of course the the two Capcom Classics Collection releases on PSP. And uh, it's actually fun to play that game and the other vertical games on the PSP that way because it rotates the screen and you hold your PSP vertically and then the controls switch to match. Uh, so that's a uh, 
kind of a neat way to play it. But I'm glad that it'll finally be getting uh, another console release. Same with Eco Fighters, and I'm guessing, I want to say that Eco Fighters, like Forgotten Worlds, allows you to more finely aim your your fire, if I remember correctly. So I'm guessing yeah, with that Einhander arm. I'm guessing they'll have a a an analog stick component to that as well. Uh, and then of course 1943 Kai, it's cool that that's getting a release. If I remember correctly, it doesn't have an analog well analog stick, but I think you actually like hold one button to rotate it and press. It. I think it's more I want to say like Forgotten Worlds in some ways where you stop the way that they did the Genesis port, maybe what I'm thinking about. Where you use it and then you hold one button to stay stuck in the place. It's been a while since I've played it, but I think that's the way that works. Hmm, okay. And by been a while, I mean like 20 plus years for me, but <laughs> it's all right. Oh, yeah. Also, did they have more Street Fighter 2 ports on this one? I, I think I saw it, but maybe I, I'm misremembering. I swear Street Fighter and Street Fighter 2 in particular have probably been ported more times than Super Mario Brothers at this point. Yeah, I think uh, I think hyper fighting might be in this collection. I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, Sega has announced the Mega Drive Mini 2 console, and the lineup currently includes Thunder Force 4, Slifeed, and the M2 custom recreation of Fantasy Zone for the Mega Drive hardware. The unit will be styled after the Mega Drive 2 model and slated for release October 27th this year. No word on a Western release, but you can bet there's definitely one coming. Yeah. yeah. Mega Drive 2 Mini was Thunder Force 4, so I know you're buying four copies. What? How about you, Zoido? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, maybe if it's um, if it makes its, its way to Europe, I will buy a copy, but um, I haven't really heard about it yet. I need to check this one out What uh, with what other games it comes and um yeah i got the mega drive one so why not getting the mega drive 2 and i haven't played the mega drive version of sylphid as far as i know so that would be interesting too yeah weren't they also doing sega cd games in this or am i misremembered yeah there are several sega cd titles that are are part of the bundle um so with game arts on board um as far as i know it's not just sylphid but they're also including popful mail um, which is a game arts title, and I want to say there's one other, but I don't remember off the top of my head. I don't think the full list of 50 games has been announced yet. Uh, they've only announced some of them. Um, so, of course, there's a possibility that there could be other other shooting games in there, um, but it's kind of neat that we're, that we're getting Sylphid, um, because I think that's a little bit of a forgotten game on the Sega CD library. Um, Robo Alesta would be cool too. Robo Alesta would be cool, as would Bari Arm or uh, Android Assault, as we know it here in in the in the North American territory. What's the? Yeah, that's got like a weird subtitle, doesn't? It? Android Assault. It's not Revenge of Joe's Brother because it's like, you know what's the? <laughs> right. It's got some weird subtitle. It's all right. I'm sure we'll get it later. Yeah, the Revenge of Bari Arm. Yep. Yeah, and it was just known as Bari Arm in, in Japan, so they kind of tied that in to the Western title. And I'm surprised nobody mentioned the uh, most expensive Sega CD game here. Oh, Snatcher? 
No, um, no, no, I don't think Snatcher. I'm talking about, um, oh, Bunny Girls, um, Ky- Ko Flying me. Squadron. Ko Flying, yep. Yeah, that would be amazing to get that on on this unit because if that if that happened, then that would make that game more of a more of a shoe in for the Schmuck Club at some point because right now, other than emulation, uh, there's really no good way to play that game because every Every release of Kaio Flying Squadron is expensive through all Inc- all territories, including the European demo disc that they <laughs> infamously, uh, or should say, I should say, famously uh, screwed up on. Do you, you hear that story? Yeah, where there's a way to unlock the full game on the European demo disc. Right, they they put the, they put the full game on there instead of it's supposed to be one level, but they put the full game on. Right. Yeah, and one of the cool things about the Mega Drive Mini 2 that I saw from the presentation is like the original Mega Drive Mini where they're uh, they're going to allow you to do a, a, a sort of mini tower of power thing, they're going to be including a thing where you can buy an add-on 32X, a game cartridge that you can stick in the system. I don't remember what game it is. Uh, but then also the Sega CD2 add-on that you can sort of just snap onto the side of the Mega Drive 2 Mini, and even has a flip-top lid you can open and put in a uh, still-feed game disc, which of course is just a little you know plastic disc that will look like the still-feed CD, but it's kind of a fun little tchotchke that you can uh, have to collect. I-, I don't know if I would go to spending all of that money to get all of that but it's still kind of fun Swiss Army make a drive <laughs> yes okay um, Schmapplations has released an interview with Takatsuna Senba who developed Gun Frontier and was the producer and art director of Metal Black both classic Taito STG I gotta read this one yeah me too I just saw this earlier somehow I missed this on uh, Elixir's uh at Schmup's uh, Twitter thread uh, from a few days ago, so I'm definitely going to have to go and, and read that interview um, because Gun Frontier famously being the game that I think is often credited as the primary inspiration for Yagawa to make uh, Battle Gorega. Yeah. Uh, there's I an- thought that was pain and suffering. Uh, well pain and suffering might have been the the second tier inspiration Uh, just add a dash with that right Uh, there's another new free doujin shooter called Tukiono which I guess translates as moonlit field from what I saw is out now from uh, Nizakashi Uh, it's on itch.io and it can be played in the browser, or you can download it to a PC. And it's a horizontal Danmaku style with what appears to be some kind of slowdown mechanic that you can activate uh, as maybe one of the game's main gimmicks and uh, combines a sort of slowdown and bullet-canceling effect. Um, It's got a very chunky, chunky pixel art style, similar to... Uh, what is it, Barrage Fantasia, I think, that was out last year or the year before. Sort of very large, chunky pixels. It, you mean chibi or, or chunky? 
I mean chunky. Yeah, the 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 game looks like it's meant for an 8-bit platform, kind of like the Pico 8 style oh, that's okay. become chunky. popular. Yeah, chunky, chunky, whatever. No, it's all right. I think chunky is just the modernized term. Right. But it looks neat. Um, and so well, I'll definitely have to check that one out. Um, and I think I... I think I linked that on uh, in the Discord. Nope, maybe I didn't. I will definitely have to link that then. You know, uh, speaking of Chunky on here, I was thinking if we were to ever make an official uh, Shoot the Corecast STG, maybe we could just use, I mean, Nogcats out there, we have Neko Navy. It wouldn't be a far stretch to use Chonks, right? Oh. We could just have Chonks the STG. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> DG Psycho M1 could do the uh, soundtrack for it. <laughs> yes, he could. <laughs> Be all uh, all drum and bass. There we go. <laughs> and hot tubs. You got to have a hot tub power up. Yes. <laughs> all right. GRS Eurokill is out now on PS4 and PS5 and Switch in Japan with a Western release through NIS America planned, including a physical. It's a combination of visual novel and shooting game, which be interesting uh, whatever visual I know that visual novels are more than this but ever any visual novels for some reason I think of Ace Attorney mm. series and then uh, recently Doki Doki Literature Club right from, from what I understand of people who have played the game already this is sort of like Danganronpa with shmup stages uh, and so you can you can play through the main game and then go back and forth between your your visual novel pieces and your shmup pieces, and then once you've kind of played through the whole thing, then you unlock the the shmup stages that you can play just by themselves, and then do score attack and, and that sort of thing, more of an arcade mode. Yeah, that that could sort of work. I was thinking you take that in translate that over to like you know person they had persona tactics how about persona stg sure yeah i mean could be interesting made for a good fighting game yeah that's true persona what is that persona strikers i think it's persona yeah persona strike there's like two different versions of it but yeah i think you're right Yeah, I've already got it pre-ordered, so we'll see. Alright, um, Bullet Hell Monday, long exclusive to mobile phones, is coming to PC and the Steam page is up now. This is pretty cool, I haven't heard about this yet, but I played uh, some quite some Bullet Hell Monday on my mobile phone, so it's interesting to see how this works on Steam for PC. Yeah, especially because... The touchscreen controls are such a, an integral part of the game, so yeah. I'm wondering if they'll include mouse control as an option, uh, so that you get a little yeah. bit more of that granular movement like you do with a touchscreen. That would be would be possible. It's worked it worked pretty well for um, Demonizer. I played Demonizer with mouse controls too. And I was surprised how good it works. So maybe they have mouse controls on it. Yeah. Well, and of course, Demonizer has the Android version, which I played 
and uh, that works pretty well with touch controls as well. So yeah, yeah. It, it would be neat to see that. I mean, uh, when I years ago when I used to play Tyrion all the time, I always played it with the mouse um, because it allows you to do that, and so then you get the ability to have that more granular movement and kind of jump back and forth on the screen a lot so that you can get more enemies or or uh, pick up more items, that kind of a thing. So uh, it's it's neat to see that at least it's an option or, or could be an option for more games to give you that ability. I know there are purists out there who would only want to play with keyboard or stick or gamepad or whatever and only with, with digital control. But I think offering analog control is always a good idea whenever possible because it just makes the the genre more accessible for for folks and i think that's a good yeah. thing i wonder how they will do the stage layout because in the mobile version you have um those nice little portions stage by stage and um i wonder if they change it for a pc release so you have more stages in a row or if they keep the nice little portions yeah i'm guessing they'll they'll keep the format maybe they'll offer a, a sort of arcade mode if you will that will combine a bunch of stages together yeah for example but uh you know much like uh, much like beat hazard You know, I, I would imagine they would they would stick with a single stage format. Speaking of Demonizer, I'm hoping that he gets that physical release sometime soon. I know that he was in talks, so hopefully it comes out of uh, AsiaSoft or something else. Or heck, I'll even take a Xarcadia report. <laughs> yeah, well, not sure we'll ever see that here in the in the West if it goes to Xarcadia, <laughs> but you know. True. No, what what's a two thousand dollar plane ticket in order to uh, play a shmup, right? Mm, yes. <laughs> uh, so the classic cave shop shoot 'em up, Gawange, uh, otherwise known in the shmup meme community as Gawang, um, is now playable on the Mister FPGA. Uh, the only home port that we've seen of this game so far is a digital version on the Xbox 360 Marketplace. And I I believe it was included with the big cave shooting box that uh, was released in Japan that had all the cave shooters released on 360 in that one collection. But I, re I seem to remember someone telling me that it wasn't actually on disc. It was a it was a download code on a card that came in the box. So it was still only digital. Um, so it's cool that there's at least another way to play this because I don't know that Gwange ever actually got a, a Western Xbox Live or Xbox Marketplace release. So I think it might still be locked to the Japanese Xbox store. Yeah, I would prefer to call those download codes only IOUs. Mm, yeah. Really disappointing, especially when they say, like, oh, here's a gold edition, and then then it's just this the actual regular game, and then here's a card where you can download the rest. Right. But, yeah, it's, it's good to see this game uh, getting a little bit wider availability, I guess. 
obviously, through the Mr. FPGA, it's not legit. It's not a way that you can purchase the game, but it's a way you can experience the game. Um, and it is a good game. I, you know, I, I played this when I was at Galloping Ghost, and uh, it's pretty neat. So it's good to see that it is going to be that it is more widely available again. And maybe we'll get lucky and uh, Livewire will pick this one up alongside some of the other games that they've done and uh, try to get this one released again. Here's hoping. And speaking of the Xbox 360 Marketplace, formerly delisted shooter Omega 5 is back on the Xbox Marketplace. It's a modern take on the Forgotten Realms formula. And it's a Hudson self-published title, which means Konami owns it, so expect a, a pachinko minigame, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Though it was developed by Natsume, so no word on how long it will remain on the market again. It was originally released January 2008 and delisted a few years ago. Yeah, definitely pick it up. You know, I know that Nintendo and Sony have a habit of closing stuff a lot faster than Microsoft, but these digital storefronts are going to close, and the only other possibility is to go the way of the JTAG, so right. definitely give it a shot where you can. Yeah, this this game looks good, and when I didn't find out about it until it had been delisted, uh, because I came very late to the Xbox 360, so I was disappointed to see that, that this really cool-looking uh, Forgotten Worlds-style game where you've got kind of a free, uh, free movement of your weaponry while you auto-scroll and move around the stage was no longer available. So I'm glad to see that it is once again up for purchase, and I will be, I will definitely be going and, and throwing a few bucks at the Microsoft Store to buy this. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of like shmup-related stuff that just sort of sitting out there on the digital storefront for the Xbox 360. When that goes down, we're going to lose a lot of stuff. Yeah. Okay, um, Team Overloaded has been posting video teasers and gameplay snippets of a Sword Shell 2 showing off new characters and mechanics. Unfortunately, I missed the playthrough for a Sword Shell or the original game. I still gotta get this and give it a shot. Yeah, it's a good game, and so far, what I've seen from the stuff that, uh, has been posted on Twitter, Assault Shelt 2 looks like it's going to be even more involved and interesting. Uh, and so there are new mechanics and, and new characters that are, are being shown off, and uh, it's looking good. Yeah, Assault Shell is one of those games where I was initially thinking this might be a little bit simplistic, but I was rather surprised by how well the game played, and the soundtrack was nice. It was was definitely a well done Dojin, and it was fun to talk to the developer. Yeah, yeah. I watched, I watched a few videos after the podcast, after listening to the podcast episode, and um, it looked really fun. I definitely need, definitely need to pick this up soon. Yeah, it's a it's a cool game. I, I would definitely recommend picking it up on itch.io because I want to say, if I remember correctly, you get a free Steam key. Uh, doing oh, that, okay. and so that way you'll have it uh, on Steam in your Steam library, and have the DRM free version through Itch. Cool. Uh, there's a new online game that you can play that called Shmup Hirdle. 
So, of course, most of us have probably been inundated on Twitter and Facebook and other other places with uh, people obsessing over the game Wordle. And I guess there are multiple uh, multiple versions of this Heardle, where it's sound-based, where you hear a, a little bit of a, a snippet of something and then try to guess what it is. And so this takes that uh, this takes that idea and then just applies it to video game music, uh, specifically from shoot 'em ups. And so actually, this is also from uh, some guy who developed the Salt Shell and is developing a Salt Shell Two. And so uh, you can uh, search out Shmup Heardle and uh, then go and hear snippets. And I want to say you get five or six snippets, and they're all strung together. Uh, and so you can you can sort of see how 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 knowledgeable you are about STG soundtracks and uh, try to guess the the game as quickly as possible. There have been a handful that I've guessed within one or two one or two segments, and then there have been a few that stumped me um, because I'm not as familiar with some of the other games. Uh, but it's kind of fun to go in there every day and just take a couple of minutes and play that. Our next bit of news is Japanese developer and publisher Terrine Games has released Terraflame on Steam, which appears to be very inspired by the Thunder Force series of games. So... I imagine if it's inspired by Thunder Force, you're going to be streaming it soon. Well, I don't know about streaming it soon, but it definitely looks good. And, uh, you know, anything that is Thunder Force inspired is is something that I'm going to want to have on my radar. Terrarian games are always great. I've played almost all of the recent releases, um, and I love them. They're great, so I'm looking very. Um, I'm very really looking forward to Terra Flame. I haven't played it yet, but I need to pick it up soon. Oh, nice! Okay, um, due out June 29th is the Nichibutsu Shooting Soundbox, a nine-CD compilation with music from the entire Nichibutsu Shmup library. Covering everything from early games like Moon Cresta, Tube Panic, and Cycros to later stuff like Terra Cresta 2 and Terra Cresta 3D. Yeah, this is very tempting. Um, I've kind of got on this kick where I've been buying I've been buying video game soundtracks on vinyl for years, um, and more recently I've been I've taken to buying some game soundtracks on CD. Uh, because there are a lot of them that you can buy through Amazon Japan. And so, you know, I, I got things like the Thunder Force and Thunder Force 2 CD set, the Thunder Force 3 and AC set, and then the Thunder Force 4 set. Um, I bought the Fantasy Zone collection. And then, um, most notably, I also bought the big Konami uh, arcade shooting box set which I think has something like 11 or 12 discs of just all of Konami's shoot 'em up games. And so something like this is very tempting. Uh, I'll have to check Amazon Japan and see what it, what it's priced at. Um, but yeah, I love seeing stuff like this, uh, these kinds of games getting recognition again. And of course, with the, the more recent release of Soul Cresta, uh, some of these games are, are coming back into 
to focus again. And that comes in conjunction with a lot of them getting re-released on uh, Arcade Archives. But, uh, yeah, it's neat to see that that uh, this stuff isn't forgotten and that there's uh, still a way to procure some of these uh, some of these soundtracks legally and legitimately. You know, I will tell you this now. The day that you post that you bought the 1942 soundtrack is the day I schedule an intervention for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. If, if uh, Capcom offers a 19XX series box set where you can get all the soundtracks, the fact that 1942 might be included in that should not qualify me for that. Because okay, the fair other enough. soundtracks are good. But I would agree. But if if I just buy the 1942 soundtrack, quote in quotes, then yes, I would welcome an intervention. I would assume, though, that the 1942 soundtrack would come with pre-order bonus of earplugs. <laughs> uh, yes, Capcom branded earplugs. <laughs> Plasmo tweeted recently about the Battle Garega hitboxes, noting that they are off-center by one pixel, always on the right side, so the right side of each planar craft is less vulnerable than the left side. I'd tell you, Snagglepuss had it right. Exit stage left. Nah. Yeah, and of course, Plasmo was on our Battle Garega episode that we did, and uh, is very knowledgeable about the game. So this was a neat little revelation to see, and I thought it was interesting that that it's like this. And so um, he also mentioned that there's there's one particular safe spot on uh, what was it a uh, stage three boss or something like that. Uh, I'd have to go back to the to the tweet thread and look, but there's one particular boss where there's a safe spot that only works on the right side or on the on the left side of the screen because the right side of the ship is less vulnerable. Um, so that is a is an interesting explanation. Uh, so I guess if you're if you're playing and practicing Garega, know that any any. Uh, any exploits that you use in terms of safe spots or those kinds of things will will favor your uh, your right side of the of your plane or craft, uh, which is kind of neat. There is apparently a bug fix in the new EXA port of Dodonpachi Sadayuju with the hitbox, so it stays properly centered with lateral movement instead of moving the opposite direction of the ship's movement. Yeah, and this was something that I saw on Elixir's Twitter feed, and there's a there was a a picture that sort of showed the differences between a stock SDOJ hitbox and the EXA SDOJ hitbox, and it doesn't look like it's that vastly different, but it's enough for the more hardcore players to probably be able to to notice, and it likely will change some routing for people who are specifically practicing and playing the EXA version. Uh, I don't... I didn't see much explanation beyond that, but it is kind of interesting that a long-standing quirk, I guess you could say, of the original SDOJ is something that uh, they felt was worth uh, correcting, if you will, in the new port. So... I'd be curious to know if 
if the EXA version of SDOJ ever comes out of EXA exclusive exclusivity and then eventually gets ported back to consoles again later, if that would carry forward, or if there would be an option for original hitbox versus updated hitbox, uh, because the uh, because SDOJ in particular has a very visible, obvious hitbox, uh, as opposed to, of course, the early games in the series like Dumpach and Dudumpach. Um, you know, they didn't really start having more obvious hitboxes, I think, until uh, Daifukatsu or, or DDP Resurrection. Uh, something else that I saw is apparently there's someone who has created an English translation hack for the 360 version of Odometius G or Odometius Gorgeous, which is kind of interesting. Uh, so for those of you, as Addicted mentioned before, those of you with a JTAG 360 or an RGH 360, uh, or I guess if you're using Xenia, the 360 emulator on PC, you can try out the English translation hack. Those poor people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've got Otomedius G, um, so I don't know how much how much of the game would be affected by uh, translation, but it's just neat to see that people are taking the time to do these things. I mean, I I, I appreciate that someone is actually doing it, but uh, there's so much out there to. I don't know. Maybe there's something about Odomini's G that I'm missing, but I gotta say, I wasn't exactly too impressed by the Odomini's we got here in the West. It just felt uh, the hitboxes were as big as a girl's, well, we won't call it there, and the fact that it had a uh, touch sensor on the official arcade stick just sort of put a creepy feeling to me. On stuff that uh, sorry. It's maybe just not for me. Yeah, I get it. And I can stomach Deep Space Wife, which should tell you a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the question, though, is can you stomach Deep Space Wife after a full plate of Texnexium? Oh, geez, no way. No way. (laughs) (laughs) The power of Texnexium, no way. (laughs) <laughs> okay, as with the physical release of Mushi Misama on Switch, Limited Run Games has announced physicals for the Livewire Switch releases of Dodonpachi Resurrection and Escaluda 2 as well. Also announced are Rendering Ranger R2, a very rare SNES Run and Gun Schmop hybrid and the Konami Arcade Classic Anniversary Collection. Gradius, Gradius 2, Life for Salamander, Typhoon, Thundercross, Twin Bee, and Scramble. Yeah. Uh, see, and the, <clears throat> the the funny thing is, I thought that Limited Run had already done the Konami Arcade Classics Anniversary Collection as a physical. I thought they had done that already, but apparently they hadn't. So I thought somehow I missed out on that, but I'm glad to see that I I was mistaken, and I'll actually be able to get it. Uh, I've already purchased most of those games through the Arcade Archives ports on the Switch, but it, it's nice that they're still getting the physical, so then we'll be able to uh, kind of keep those uh, long-term. 
Yeah. Aren't the uh, Konami Classic, the arcade stuff, arcade archives, just bundled together anyways? No, they're all separate purchases. No, no, I mean, they're the same things. They just took the arcade archives ports and then bundled them under Konami. Oh, yes. Grouping and then, yeah. Yes, you can buy the bundle digitally and save a couple of bucks. Um, but yeah, most of these I've already purchased individually. Um, but like I say, it'll be it'll be good to have them physically so that if the arcade archives lineup ever disappears from digital marketplaces, right. we'll still still have this. You know, I'm wondering what limited run games would throw in as a... You know, what do you throw in for as a physical for this? If you're going to go out on your mega deals, I know that recently announced Shredder's Revenge has a Pizza Hut pizza coupon. I mean, what do you do this here? Like a, your health club membership? <laughs> a replica pachinko machine? What do you put in here? Maybe a pachinko token? Oh, there we go. You get your comedy pachinko token that has... Uh, you get the lower British edition, or you could get the uh, Vic Viper edition. There you go. Oh, no, I'm giving my ideas. I better stop. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed that that the arcade anniversary collection doesn't have um, doesn't have Thundercross 2 which would be nice um, I'm okay that it doesn't include Gradius 3 um, but <laughs> Thundercross 2 would be nice after playing Gradius 3 I can confirm yeah or, or you know it, it also doesn't have Trigon or Lightning Fighters that would be cool to have in there but Again, those are still available digitally, and then maybe eventually they'll do an arcade classics anniversary collection two, and that'll have you know Gradius three, uh, maybe Gradius four eventually if they decide to bring that forward. Thunder, uh, uh, you know, maybe it'll have Lightning Fighters, maybe it'll have Ajax, that kind of a thing. So we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But at least we're getting this. Yeah, it's definitely a start in the right direction, and this is Konami. And the Konami of late has proven to be very much like the Disney of late. As long as they can make some money off of it, they're all for it. Yes. And we talked about this earlier within our Turning the Tables episode. I want to put this out here. The Day We Fought Space is finally available for purchase on iOS and Apple devices. Congratulations to them. Yeah, uh, this happened a couple of weeks ago now, I think. And so, um, when we did the initial, our first Shoot the Corecast Gaiden episode, it was the developer interview, uh, all about the day we fought space. Uh, and so, that's been long enough ago that uh, it feels like, I want to say that was 2019 when we did that interview. That was pre-COVID, yeah. So, if, if you, you know, you get that uh, Robin Williams bumping out going what year is it right from Jumanji yeah that's, yeah that's how it feels but definitely I made it told to them yeah it, it's cool to see that it's finally out and so if you uh, I would say especially if you have an iPad uh, go check this game out because it's it's a lot of fun and it's a, a neat sort of I guess you would call it a roguelite type of game in that each run is new and different the enemy waves will be different um, there is some story to the game and so forth, but uh, it's just kind of a cool game with a ton of different weapon variety and and multi-touch screen capabilities, and so it's a... Uh, I think it's the only STG out there with Surf Rock? 
as a soundtrack? I can't think of any others. Probably, yeah. So, definitely worth checking out. Indeed, and since we've been giving out the news here, one game came to mind when I should have mentioned for turning the tables. But there's one game that that is one of the core mechanics, and that's Metal Gear Solid V. <laughs> right. Well, it is. You have to capture the enemies in order to build up your base, and and you get each enemy has a rank. Oh yes. And so you tr- yep, and you tranquilize them, and then you shoot them up into the air, so they're captured. People always had funds for for a while, just seeing what they could lift off with how many different balloons. Like you see goats flying off into the sky and. All sorts of fun stuff. That's true. But that is quintessential turning the tables on your enemy. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's all the shmup news we've got. So let's go ahead and shout out our participants for the month. Uh, we, of course, had myself, Metal Fro, and Addicted. We also had Mini Console Man, Cork Man, Faux Macho, Zoido, naturally, and Dugley007. He's been here for what, like everything on there? Or do we just keep, I mean, even if he doesn't say anything, do we just keep his name on the list? Well, Dugley, Dugley doesn't participate in as all the shmup playthroughs. I know he does usually participate in every single regular community playthrough, but he only occasionally jumps in on the shmup side. I have to say, though, we should get him like a trophy or something for like the mo- most continuous months. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that anyone has done more, sh- uh, more playthrough participation on our generation than Dougley 007. Alright, so let's talk about the game <laughs> that we all played in May of 2022, and that was G. Darius. It was developed and published by Taito and Arcades in 1997, running off the Taito FX1B hardware, which is loosely based on the Sony PlayStation One. This type of hardware was also used in other arcade games such as Namco's uh, System 11 and System 12, which ran Tekken, Tekken 3, and the infamous Dancing Eyes. Other FXB, FX1B games include Fighters Impact and sequel Fighters Impact A and Raystorm. It's also possible to run G Darius on Taito's GNAT hardware, though unofficially. A revision of the game, G. Darius version 2, was released in Japan, which made the game more difficult and adds a per-zone high score table to the game's attract mode, as well as other changes. And later on, a beginner mode was introduced that can be chosen in a new selection screen that appears before the game starts. Only the first three stages can be played in this mode, so the player's power-up level only goes down by one level upon death. An auto-fire function was added, map to button 3. Which is good, because with Jam and Standard, you only get 3 buttons. Yes. When using a capture ball, the player is no longer invulnerable. Each boss now has a timer, 180 seconds for normal bosses, and 540 seconds for the final boss. Upon clearing the stage, there is a bonus of 1,000 points for each second remaining. After continuing, the player is given one of each missile, bomb arm, and capture ball power-ups. In the original, only the first three were provided in the form of a combined power-up. Version 2 also adds additional captains so that there's one in each zone where a couple zone locations didn't have one previously. It should also be noted that the only 
previously, according from the M2 port, the only way to play this was on the arcade or on the PlayStation 1 port. The PlayStation 1 port is plays very well and is very, extremely faithful. The only thing I wish that they kept in is I wish they used the in-engine uh, intro cutscenes instead of made those full motion video, but maybe it was done because there just wasn't space on the disc, the book audio. I'm not quite certain the reason. Do you have? Do you know Guru or Zoido? I'm not sure why they did it that way. Though it's the fourth arcade entry in six overall, it's a prequel in the original Dar- Darius arcade release. And I, I swear that the amount of backstory they used on this for the story, it's, the game store itself is longer than the game. <laughs> right. <laughs> The arcade release apparently has a level select built in using the Taito code, which is hold the service corn button up upon booting and wait until a service switch error message pops up on the screen. Press the first player start three times, service coin, then one player start again. Upon this, game boots as normal. However, upon inserting credit, the player is redirected to a stage selection menu, pre- pressing player one, left, right, scrolls through levels, and player one. Button one chooses a level. Not as straightforward or as memorable as the Konami code, but it definitely works. No, and I pulled that verbatim from uh, the Cutting Room Floor website, so uh, I haven't tested this myself. But um, it's interesting that it's that it's in the game, and I don't know if that was a testing thing uh, or if uh, you know they left it in there on purpose. But it's it's neat. Yeah, I didn't know about this either. That's interesting. G. Darius is also the first game in the franchise to move away from the sprite-based graphics and into 3D polygons. As mentioned earlier, PlayStation version of the game was released in 1998 based upon the version 2 of this game. This release contains a boss practice mode to help players learn and master boss fights. Taito Taito published this in Japan and THQ for the Western release. The PlayStation 1 version was used as a basis for the PC port released in 2000 and 2001 by multiple publishers. The original arcade release is included in the PS2 version of the Title Legends compilation, but the, tit- the PS2 port runs faster, if I remember right. It removes the slowdown, so it's a harder game. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say Icarus FW did a YouTube video on this uh, a few years ago, or maybe it was just last year when when this came out, um, when the M2 ports came out, did a comparison of essentially every version of G. Darius Arcade, PS1, PS2, PC version, um, and uh, the M2 ports to sort of compare to see how close or far they are. And yeah, it's funny that, <clears throat> that uh, in some ways the PS1 port is actually more accurate, I guess you could say, than the Taito Legends 2 version on PS2, which is essentially just the ROM running in MAME uh, on PS2, you know, in that sort of encapsulation. Uh, As a rapper, yeah. I swear that someday we'll find out that someone did a Famicom port of this, there's a bootleg somewhere. (laughs) 
Or there's an MSX port for some reason. It's just been reimagined. It's not quite like they did with uh, Gradius and Salamander. So the PS1 version received generally favorable reviews, and Game Machine ma Magazine Japan noticed that G. Darius is the fourth most successful arcade game of the month in August 15, 1997 issue. Taito contracted M2 to bring the Darius arcade releases forward in a pair of compilations, the Darius Cosmic Collection and the Darius Cosmic Revelation, the later of which contains G. Darius HD. It has also received a standalone digital and physical release on the Switch and PS4. The digital releases across other modern platforms such as Steam. The I like the standalone release because it's cheap and it's really easy for someone to get into this now without having to deal with PS1 and M2 did a brilliant job. The only thing that bugs me about the new release is it seems to have like those... Everyone remember those Dreamcast stuff when it says like hot new or best seller? I don't know why there's this giant sticker on the front of it. It just seems to detract from the game on there, but I guess if that's what's needed to get people to look at STGs these days, so be it. Yeah, well, at least it, there's no frothing demand from IGN. <laughs> frothing demand, yeah, only from uh, Mullet Man or uh, Gyrus. Um, I've got a question. The PlayStation version of the game was released in 1998 based on the version 2 release of the game. I read this somewhere else, but I um, don't understand why the PS1 version is based on version 2 of the arcade game. Yeah, I don't understand that either. And realistically, it doesn't, when you play it, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's based on version 2 either. No. Um,. So, I'm not sure what source that was. Um, I, th I think I came across that too, and, uh, and I already wondered about this, because the only thing um, I can see is taken from version 2 is the auto-fire button, or the rapid-fire option. <laughs> and the rest of the game, the beginner mode only applies to the version 1, so there's not much <laughs> or nothing at all from version 2 in the PlayStation version. Yeah. As much as I can see. So that may yeah. be a, that may be a, a, a wiki, wiki casualty of uh, you know bad information there. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's almost like it's a one point five, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, m maybe it was originally this, or they started out on version one point and then they added in stuff on later as it came out in development and the way they went I don't know hmm. what happens weird alright would you like to uh, toss a coin to uh, our witcher here McGillis with a story me? I'm sorry anyone who wants to go through this uh, uh, interesting um, okay. piece here I'm going to read the story um, the story revolves about civilization of the planet Emnelia and its conflict with the invading Thema. The Thema were alerted of the existing of the Emnelians after they used a highly destructive AN weapon, which means all nothing. To eliminate the satellite Plaza during a previous conflict between the planet and the Amnelians who had migrated to the satellite years earlier, as they fought over control of the Amnelian moon Massa. 
The 25th king of Amnelia was a genius scientist and reverse engineered Thema technology and combined it with tech used in the AN weapon to create spaceships as a last-ditch effort to fight off the Thema invasion. Two young pilots were chosen to helm these vessels, same luck Ryder and Lucia Fien. <laughs> the Silverhawk RCF, RRCF Rota, better known as the Silverhawk Genesis, would be the last hope of the Amnelians as they set out to the Thema base of Kazum, a satellite of planet Darius. Well, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and this story, I sort of... <sighs> The, the story synopsis that I've got here in the notes, I put together based on a very long story <laughs> yeah, that I found version. on the Darius, uh, G. Darius fandom wiki page. Uh, yeah, I read, it, I read this too this morning, and um, yeah, we have the, the short version here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's, there's a lot going on, but one of the main things I guess I want to draw your attention to is... The, the AN weapon piece, it, that sort of ties into when you first start the game and you and it loads up and the sort of intro sequence to the first stage, you see the screen that looks like a heads-up display of your Silverhawk, and in the top right corner it says AN Drive. And so uh, that is the tie-in there where it's the the utilizing that all-nothing uh, weapon technology to help power the Silverhawk Genesis. Right, yeah. I have to say, for for a late 90s game, it certainly feels like this could have come out of a late 70s, early 80s anime. It, it really feels like we can insert the word Voltron in there somewhere or something like that, <laughs> and it would just fine. I... I, I guess just it feels very similar when we were talking about Life Force and Gradius and we found that there were Konami created tried to create its own um, what's the, the Konami verse? I don't know what's the correct I mean describe it but they had Salamander as just like a first episode in their anime you know the people came from planet Gradius in order to help defeat the evil bacteria in the army had targeted so they launched their fighter lord british and man even, even i feel like i'm you know drawing uh connections between yarn points on a big map on the wall here it's a convoluted story but i love that that they that they went with it yeah it's great stuff as deep and complex as the story is it's interesting enough, I think, that like the Salamander OVA concept that we got from Konami, this could be good potential fodder for a multi-episode anime OVA kind of thing, where they could take a, an episode or two to flesh out the backstory about planet Amnalia and the development of the kings and, and the civilization and then uh, eventually the development of the of the technology that powered the civilization and then then kind of fast forward to the 25th king and now we're in this situation where we've got this AN weapon we've got this conflict between the the satellite blazar and the planet itself and 
and then that that sort of sparks the events of of uh, uh, of the Thema coming to uh, to try and take out the Anulians and and as as cheesy as a lot of shmup stories are when you read the one or two paragraph synopses in the game manuals and things, this is actually deep enough that I think they could do something cool with it. So it's it's a little bit of a missed opportunity that Taito didn't uh, didn't take the the uh, chance to contract with a maybe a B or C tier studio to make a, a tie-in for it because I think actually that could be cool. Yeah, yeah it would have been nice. Yeah. And if they ever made a manga uh, out of it, I would love to see the guys who did the covers for iMagic do it. Nah. <laughs> Yes, go go full demon attack. Indeed. Well, uh, we're talking about going on the attack here. You want to take us into the gameplay? Yeah. So, as we kind of alluded to uh, in the setup, this actually started as a two-button game with one button for firing and then one for using your capture ball. And as you mentioned before, version 2 added the third button for auto-fire which is great for those of us uh, who are trending toward Carpal Tunnel, like myself. Trending? Speak for yourself. Yeah. Uh, So the capture ball is the new mechanic uh, to the series with this game, and it sort of stems from a limited capture mechanic in its predecessor, Darius Gaiden, where there was a sort of an orb on the top of each of the captains or mid-boss characters in each stage of Darius Gaiden, and if you could fire upon that orb enough without completely destroying that enemy itself, then you could sort of convert that enemy to fly alongside you for a little while and provide additional fire. Uh, They take that one step further here by actually giving you a resource of the capture ball that you can then throw out and capture enemies. And so you can you can fire the ball out, capture an enemy, and then it will fight alongside you, and that looks different depending on what enemy you capture. And then there are multiple things you can do with that captured enemy. You can let it yeah. fight alongside you until it's destroyed. That's your first choice. Your second choice is if you hit the capture button again you can detonate that enemy like a bomb, and it creates a large area of effect. You know, this what you're describing here seems a lot like STG Pokemon. Well, you got to catch them all. Oh, that's that what you... <laughs> no wonder why they couldn't get the high score. <laughs> no wonder why you kept beating me. Uh, and then option three is if once you've captured an enemy, if you hold down the fire button... You'll actually absorb the enemy and charge up what is called the Alpha Beam. And that is a large laser that you can then fire out once you've charged with a captured enemy. And so you, you hold the fire button to charge the laser, then you release and then rapid, rapid fire your weapon, either with button 3 and version 2 and the console ports, or just by you know rapidly tapping your fire button to then release and... Um, and utilize the uh, alpha beam to uh, to take out enemies and do major damage on bosses. And the alpha beam is a key 
a key uh, element of this game, as we'll learn, kind of going along uh, through talking the gameplay. Um, yeah, you can't beat the game without it, right? Well, I, you probably can, but uh, but it's much easier with the game. And of course, as we'll learn later from a scoring perspective, you also want to make sure that you use the alpha beam from time to time. Right, it's almost like a, a, a focus shot that actually uh, has to be strategically used, right? And that was the similarity, and we're dealing with Damaku-style games. We're certainly around at this time. And so it's an interesting way of adding strategy to your focus shot and dealing with scoring and strategy. And I wonder if this is partially inspired by Dragon Ball Z with the amount of uh, over-the-top uh, focus fire that goes on between all this stuff. So are you saying that the Alpha Beam is basically just uh, Kamehameha? Uh, well, you know, it, it, <laughs> someone's going to throw in a, a voice clip there, right? <laughs> Kamehameha. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty hard to um, beat the game without the Alpha Beam, because if you don't use the Alpha Beam, the bosses have a lot of hit points, and um, you have to loop through all the phases, which are getting harder and harder, and um, it takes quite some time to kill the bosses uh, just by your regular fire. Yeah, they are incredibly spongy. Um, yeah. But... So, so the big thing with the Alpha Beam and the bosses is that bosses also have a similar laser weapon. Um, your Alpha Beam is kind of a blue color. Their Alpha Beam or similar laser is a sort of pink color. And I guess it's it's actually called Beta Beam. Oh, Beta Beam, yes. Bosses. Yeah. Yes, thank you for reminding me of that. Sure, yeah. And essentially what you want to do is when a boss fires out their Beta Beam you want to then counter that with your alpha beam. And this sets up uh, what you can do with the game with beam duels. And by mashing on the, the fire button a bunch and hitting it as quickly as you can, or of course using rapid fire in the console ports and version 2, you can essentially overpower the boss's beta beam. And by countering with their beta beam, you grow the alpha beam and you can double it in size, uh, and then once you overpower the boss's beta beam, then you do major damage against that boss for however long the, the beam lasts. And of course, that is based upon how quickly you mash or, um, you know, just standard length if you're using auto fire. The, the really neat hook comes when there are bosses that will shoot out more than one alpha beam. Uh, so, for example, uh, one of the one of the shining examples of this is Fire Fossil in the top route through the game has a section where it will fire out four successive beta beams. Uh, and so if you can counter all four of them successfully, you can go from the standard beam to, to double, to triple, to fourfold, which fills uh, a large portion of the screen and does massive damage, and um, it really looks cool, and uh, is a fun mechanic, but is also a, the best way to take out the bosses, because then uh, then you're, you're ensuring that, as Zoido said, you don't have to actually loop through the attack patterns and phases of the boss 
uh, a second or third time because they do get more difficult. Yeah. Some of the bosses also vary their better beam attacks um, after the, uh, or, or going through the loops. For example, the boss of the third stage. Um, I have to look up its name. Uh, wait, ah, dual horn. Right. Yes. Um, in the first loop, he shoots one beta beam at you, and if you loop through the, uh, if you go through the second loop of his attack patterns, he shoots um, two beta beams at you in the second loop. So you can use that to optimize your score later on because you get one score for a higher value of um, your beam counter. And um, th that's the case with some bosses. So yeah, maybe you want to loop through um, the boss phases if you're a more skilled player to get a higher score in the end. Yes. And uh, as we kind of mentioned before, um, most stages in the game have a larger kind of mid-boss enemy known as a captain, which of course, as, as we mentioned before, stems from Darius Gaiden. And each one of these captains has gold plating on it, usually on its face. And that makes the enemy uncapturable, at least at first. Once you do enough damage, you can destroy the gold plating and then capture the captain. And you want to do this for multiple reasons. First and foremost, the captains are large, and a lot of times, uh, because they kind of follow and track your movements, you can sort of sit inside the captain or alongside it so that it will tank for you and take enemy fire. Number two, uh, enemies that are destroyed by the captain are worth more points. Uh, and then number three, uh, I believe you get an additional bonus if you carry your captain all the way to the to the boss fight and can use that to create the alpha beam with the captain. So there's a you lot going on. You forgot the fourth one. What's that? You forgot the fourth one. Uh, when, once you capture a captain, uh, you always have to say, "I'm the captain now." <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Uh, unfortunately, once you capture the captain. You also you you don't have the option to then all uh, subsequently capture Tenniel. Oh, <laughs> there's a small segment of the audience that's going to get that joke. <laughs> uh, but yeah, captains are a, are a vital uh, mechanic in the game. Also, each captain has its own special attack, which you can activate with a fighting game style input. So, for example, the very first captain in uh, in uh, the alpha stage, you do just a standard um, Hadouken-style quarter-circle roll uh, in order to get it to fire out a cool sort of laser thing. It does this fun thing where it spins around and then does the roll. Or the, uh, the large... Um, I'm trying to think of what kind of fish it is uh, in in uh, Delta. Um, a little bit like a oh gosh, not a clownfish, but anyway, it's a it's a, a taller fish, and that one uh, shoots out these waves. But if you do a Shoryuken uh, or a Dragon Punch type of movement with that, then it does two sets of waves on the top and bottom, and then a front-facing laser 
that it'll shoot out as its special move. Um, I didn't figure out all the special moves for the for the captains that I captured, but it's a cool extra kind of uh, mechanic that the game has, which is fun to play with. And DM2 gadgets give you information about um, how to trigger the special attacks. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice a nice feature of the the modern ports. Yeah. Um, did either of you have a favorite captain or a favorite uh, uh, special attack that they would perform? I don't know about special attacks, but um, my favorite captain might be uh, maybe Queen's Child. <laughs> Oh, okay. It's pretty cool, and it's it, it takes a lot of damage. I, I don't know if it takes more damage than the others, but um, it feels like a tank, and it works pretty well. And I, I know, that, and I like its firepower. <laughs> yeah, it does take uh, it does take a lot of of uh, firepower. Oh, and the the bus the the mid bus of Lambda Zone is pretty cool too. I don't know the name. I have to look it up. Um. Unguardian. Oh yes, yes, Unguardian. Yeah, that's cool. Pretty too. Uh, pretty cool too. Yeah, if if I had to say a captain, I would say Big Mouth Billy Bass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it talks too much, but man, when you use that quarter circle move, it works out pretty well. No, the ones that I could use were. Basically, the one in, in stage one, because I actually had time to input those commands, I didn't have time to uh, input the Konami code as I was <laughs> trying to fight off this armada. Come on. I, I, I'm not very skilled at it, in other words. Come on, Addicted. Everyone's got time for a Hadouken. That is true. In fact, we should put that on, maybe a, a, get that on a glass for you. <laughs> a beer glass. <laughs> Everyone's got time for a Hadouken. Uh, and for those of you who are probably uh, too young to remember and thankfully are not, uh, or maybe too too young to be traumatized, <laughs> Big <laughs> Big Mouth Billy Bass was a thing in the early 90s. It was a singing fish <laughs> that you put batteries into in, oh boy, five seconds, and it would annoy anybody. Yeah. There, there's an entire YouTube uh, rabbit hole you can go down looking at people who have hacked their Big Mouth Billy Bass with different songs and things, so it will uh, change what song it plays and the movements that it does. And earlier when we were talking about the fit, all the different types of enemies and stuff in, in Darius' game, I would love to just see this giant poster with every enemy on there, and at the top it says, Darius, let's go fishing. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Uh... Zoido, would you like to illuminate us as to the item pickups? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, item pickups. Um, red orbs power up your weapon by one level. Each weapon type can be powered up six times until it is upgraded to the next weapon type. You start with missiles, upgrade to lasers, and finally upgrade to the wave cannon. Um, green orbs power up your bombs. You can power up three times before upgrading from single forward drop bombs to a twin bomb drop, then a four-way bomb drop. Blue orbs give you a shield that can sustain a few hits. You can refresh the shield with additional blue orb pickups up to five times, and on the sixth pickup you'll upgrade from the standard blue shield to the silver shield. 
six more blue orbs and you upgrade to the golden shield. White or gray orbs uh, are score pickups only and I think they vary in their value. I don't know if, if you can affect this or if, if it's um, complete, completely random, um, but sometimes they're worth a lot and sometimes they're worth 500 points. Yeah, and, and I, I want to say there is a way to affect the value, but I haven't figured it out fully. I think it has to do with both the position of your ship when you collect them and the arc in the circular movement of the orb. So there's a way to... I won't say guarantee, but there's a way to far increase your chances of success of getting the the two top score uh, values. But just as okay. easily, you can you can end up with only a hundred points, which I think is similar to something like Raiden DX, where there's a split second where you can grab the medals for the highest value, but then if you miss that window, it's back down to fifty or a hundred points or something. Okay, yeah, maybe most of the time I'm too busy <laughs> to watch out <laughs> for that stuff. <laughs> right. Um, okay, yellow orbs are like smart bomb and will damage or destroy all enemies on screen depending on how much HP they have. The purple orbs are new to this game and they are the capture balls you use to trap enemies. These are limited. Uh, these are a limited resource, so you use them wisely. After a death. Um, each new ship starts with three, three capture boards. Um, yeah, you can have a maximum of six, I guess. And um, yeah, capture board management is an essential part of the game, I'd say. Um, there are a very limited number of one-up icons hidden in a few stages in the game. Um, the one-ups are usually in stage four of every route. So um, yeah, there is one enemy that... Um, that mimics the um, the one-up icons, but um, those appear in the later stages. Most of them in stage four or five, so you have to watch out for the, these. And red, green, and blue orbs are obtained by destroying enemies of the same color. The other items are hidden in the scenery and must be uncovered by shooting or bombing those areas. Yeah, and and that. That component has always been a an element of the Darius games because the the white or gray and the yellow orbs are something that have been part of the Darius series from the beginning, and so generally speaking, those were always uh, uncovered by bombing or shooting the the floor or the ceiling or some or something like that. Um, right. Yeah. So it's interesting that now, of course, in the earlier Darius games you would have to shoot down a squadron of enemies of some kind uh, in order to get uh, an, uh, one of the colored orbs to power up your weapons or your shield. Um, but, you know, it was simplified in uh, Darius Gaiden and in this game so that it was only the one enemy in that squadron that you had to take out, usually the last one, that is uh, the color of the orb that they will uh, that they will give out. Right, yeah. Like with the previous Darius games, G. Darius has multiple stages and branching paths. Uh, you always start out in Zone Alpha, which is uh, 
on which is at the planet Amnelia or Amnelia in the uh, what what is known as the Aus Galaxy. Uh, the boss is Eclipse Eye, and then that always branches out to two additional stages. And so, stage two, you can either go to Zone Beta, which has Tripod Sardine as the boss, or Zone Gamma, which the boss is the classic Darius boss, Queen Fossil. And those all, those both take place near the satellite Martha. Uh, Stage three then branches out into three zones, and that can be Zone Delta, with Dualhorn as the boss, Zone Epsilon, which uh, has Dimension uh, Diver, or Zone Zeta with uh, the boss Absolute Defender, and these are all in outer space. <clears throat> Stage 4 can be Zone Eta, which is Fire Fossil as the boss, Zone Theta, which has Death Wings, Zone Iota, which has the, a boss known as Eight Feet Umbrella, or Zone Kappa, which has Eternal Triangle, and these are all uh, around the planet Mabahar. And then stage five, uh, again, branches out five ways. Uh, so that can be zone Lambda, which is the top route, and that boss is Lightning Coronatus. Zone Mu, which has a heavy arms shell. Zone Nu, which has the Embryon. Uh, zone Z, which is Accordion Hazard. And then Omicron, which has the boss GT. And those are all... Uh, near the satellite Kazum in the Rakia galaxy. Now, one thing I was going to ask, because I know we saw uh, during Shmup Slam 5, there was a live run of G. Darius on what I think they said was the hardest route. And they, they ended the game, if memory serves, in Zone New with the Embryon. Is that canonically the true final boss of G. Darius? Or is it the lower route with GT? That's a good question. I can't really tell which is the harder one. <laughs> I've never beaten one of them in a, in a complete run, so um, I can't tell which is the harder route. But um, yeah, as, as Embryon is... Um, special to G. Darius, maybe it's a kind of the TLB or the, the final story boss. Right. Well, and my understanding is that three of the five endings of the game, because the game has five endings due to having five final stages, that three of the five endings of the game are, are technically bad or downer endings. Uh, so I don't know, I don't know which one is considered the good ending or the best ending to get in the game. That's the Embryon. Is it the Embryon? The Embryon stage ends with the ending where both of them go out of their spaceships and together with the power of Tex Maxim they build and create planet Darius. <laughs> oh, that's right. Because that that's um, minus the Tex Maxim part. That, I think, refers to the, the story bit in the attract mode where the where you get that quote from the King Amnalia the 25th or whatever who says you will see the creation of new life or new lives so I'm wondering if that was the sort of uh, foreshadowing to that um, to that component it's really weird they just basically get out of the spaceship and then they hold hands and all of a sudden a planet's formed it's 
yeah, yeah so sure it's it, it works right kind of like that but that's kind of like that thing that it, happens when you're uh, when you're a little kid and uh, you think that uh, you know babies happen when mom and dad hold hands or something like that <laughs> well in this case a planet is born but <laughs> right <laughs> now uh, it, 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 but the other endings are like one where one of them the spaceship dies or is explodes and then one of them jumps out and then the, the other silverhawk goes down to the is hurtling towards the planet while they're both just hugging each other in space. It's really bizarre, but I, so I guess the ending where they create a planet seems the best out of all of them. It's yeah, I mean, I would interesting. Like I said, it's a missed opportunity for Taito to not have done an anime based on all of this because it does feel like it's very in line with that sort of esoteric kind of of storytelling yeah and the embryon itself is just so weird it's a manta ray that all of a sudden has a gundam head in the middle of it and i was looking at going that can't be no it's a gundam head i mean they removed maybe just one or two things to call it satire but it's a gundam head in there you know it's in fact the entire stage is so bizarre hmm it almost reminds me of uh, Star Fox. When what's that zone in Star Fox where you get sucked through a black hole and things just go weird? There's like a clocks or something. I forget what the name of it. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? The yes. Super Nintendo or, yeah. I know what you're talking about. It reminds about. me of that. It's just so weird. There, there colors morphing around. It's uh, it, what's the uh, the Sony's mascot for PlayStation One? Polygon Man. It wouldn't surprise me if Polygon Man just appeared in the background there. <laughs> I wouldn't even surprise me if Pepsi Man appeared in the background. It's just all over the place. But it's certainly something to try. And the boss is, as expected, hard. And the ending's weird. Yeah. Still a lot of fun. Right. Yeah, the, the rest The rest of the endings are a bit uh, disappointing. After all your hard work, here's a cutscene showing your main character's dying. Yeah, but again, it, it fits that uh, that somewhat esoteric Japanese manga and anime style for science fiction stories. Yeah, and, and an ending with more text maxim. I mean, what, what more can you ask for there? <laughs> um, now, one of the cool things that is unique to G. Darius is that uh, in addition to the regular branching paths from one stage to the next... Each stage actually has a branching path in the stage, generally about the halfway point. And so you can choose the upper or lower path, and there's a little line that you see across the screen. It's sort of a green line, and as the green line gets smaller and shrinks toward the center of the screen, then wherever you're at, top or bottom, uh, or above or below that line, when it disappears, that's when it, it then confirms which path you've chosen. And I didn't like this. I'm, I'm gonna. I did not like this. I got stuck several times on the upper, lo- on the lower path when it mean to. If they would have gotten rid of that and added in like a lock on, where you hit like a, you hit both buttons to lock it in where you're going. That would have made it a lot, e- lot easier for me. 
than having to deal with, oh shoot, I'm going to the lower level again. You experienced this frustration too, right? When we played some of your playthroughs? A couple of times. I mean, there were a couple of times I didn't mean to go on a particular path, um, but really it was more that I was busy. I was busy dodging and shooting and not paying attention. You know, I think once you get your routing down, then you can you can more easily uh, choose the path that you want. So I, I actually think this is a neat feature, and it definitely adds to the gameplay variety because each each path halfway through the stage then changes the scenery, the enemies that you're going to fight, potentially the number of power ups you're going to encounter, uh, etc. So, uh, and then it also changes the boss. So even though, let's say in, um, a good example of that would be Tripod Sardine in Beta Zone. Tripod Sardine has different behavior depending on whether you go top path or bottom path. I find the bottom path Tripod Sardine to be slightly easier than top path because there's a little bit less dodging you have to do. Um... Whereas top path, you've got these laser things that will zone in on your position and you have to move a little bit in order to, to uh, move out of the way. So it's an interesting mechanic because it makes you, it makes you determine which one you want to learn um, in order to best route and take out that particular form of a boss. So it, I, I definitely agree with you. I think it, it was very welcome, and, and I enjoy it too. It just feels like sometimes I got lost and ended up on the cover of Phalanx, you know, just out out there with a, some sort of banjo guy. I'm like, where did I go? Did I take a left turn, left turn at Albuquerque, or what happened? Here? <laughs> yeah, this this can ruin your complete run because you. Um, have to encounter a boss you aren't prepared for so uh yeah if you choose the wrong way by accident um you most of the times end up um yeah buying at the boss fight right well and the thing that i think is neat about this is that that's actually how i discovered that bottom path dual horn is or a tripod sardine rather is actually easier and so that was the thing that that I thought was kind of a nice little surprise is that I accidentally took bottom path one time in stage beta and then when I got to the boss and realized oh this is an easier version of this boss that's what I'm going to do so then that changed my route because that allowed me to be a little bit more consistent in getting through tripod sardine uh, and so for me it was a nice surprise yeah right and plus you don't have to fight the um spider kind of things those crawlers on the upper roots yes. um, because they they also take a lot of hits and um yeah they're pretty strong yes yeah the spider things in uh in that stage for sure if you uh if you take the upper path versus the lower because I want to say it's the lower path where you get the spiders, if I remember correctly. Um, in Zone Beta, these spiders are in the upper path. Okay. Okay, yes. Yep, they're in the upper path. Yes. There's one, two of them right in a row. That's right. Right. Yeah, the easiest Correct. way to deal with them is just to alpha beam them, because the alpha beam 
obliterates them right away. Yeah. And that's that's what I saw in Icarus's route. So then one other one other neat point about the game too is that every every stage of course has the Greek letter designation, but then every stage sort of has a, a subtitle. And each one of these starts with the letter G, which of course ties into the name of the game and the fact that you're piloting the, the uh, Silverhawk Genesis. So it's kind of a neat way to bring it all together in a, in a subtle but interesting way. Yeah, that's funny. So let's talk about the graphics. Yeah, the graphics, this is the series' first four-way into 3D, which I think was pulled off rather well. You, even today, if you look at these 3D graphics, they don't look like they are abstract or, or, or is warped or anything. It's something that's very easy to come back to. I didn't find myself getting any type of, like, hey, this seems a little off or anything until maybe one of the stages, the backgrounds, where it was, the background wasn't moving quite as the way the action felt, and it made it feel a little bit off-putting. You know, like sort of on a, you're on a movie maybe a little bit too fast, like an on-rail shooter, and that could happen. It seems to have been like an arcade game. But for the most part, everything seemed to line up and look good, and several, several years later here in 2022, it still looks great. Yeah, you can't say that much about other 3D shooters. I mean, look at uh, what was the third one that they imported the PlayStation one? It, was it Galaxy in three or was it Galaxy? Trying to think, it's what's that 3D one that they import? Was it Galaxy in three? Oh, 3? are you talking about um, Galaga Dimension one. Earth? Was that the one, the 3D one that they ported? It only came on the PlayStation one in the arcades, and it was this huge one. On the arcades. Well, that was that was Galaxian uh, Galaxian Three, but I didn't think that actually got a home port because it was a laser disc. I think disc it came out on the game. PlayStation. I, I could be wrong. But I think it actually came out on PlayStation One. I'll have to take a look. Wow. But regardless, the graphics really hold up, and you can't go wrong playing this on the HD port or even going back to the PlayStation One. Yeah, the thing that strikes me about these games now is if you think about G. Darius or Ray Storm, Ray Crisis, Einhander, these 3D early 3D graphics shoot-em-ups on the PlayStation is there's enough abstraction in what you're what you're looking at uh, in these kinds of games because they're all using fictional types of things you know, flying robot space fish and uh, and odd lasers and weapons and things, that there's enough of a layer of abstraction and suspension of disbelief that you already have with that kind of universe that it's easier to, to continually play these kinds of games all these years later with less good graphics um, and still think they look relatively good as compared to something that's more realistic. Now, I myself have a... still have a bit of an affection for PlayStation... original PlayStation-era 3D, and there are still a lot of games on that hardware that I, I enjoy the way they look, even though I know, objectively speaking, they're not great. But I think these games age better 
and particularly G. Darius, uh, has aged better than much of the original PlayStation library. Again, because of that, the fact that you're you're in these fantastical settings using uh, crazy weapons against uh, ridiculous and and uh, strange enemies, and so there's already enough of that uh, of that in there that it sort of helps get past whatever the low poly 3D is and um, helps the game still look better than maybe it ought to at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, your Bubsy 3D love aside, I I, I (laughs) completely agree. I think that if we were to take its contemporary R-Type Delta, which has still got great gameplay, it hasn't aged as well as G. Darius. Right, it looks simpli- a little bit more simplistic than w- what you would n- normally have on there. And it, it, in Shmup Junkie pointed this out in his video, right? It's it doesn't take much to upscale this to make this look great. He ran it on maybe just under a little bit better settings on the emulator, and it looked amazing. There wasn't a lot of work that needed to be done, and I think it that really benefits from, as you mentioned, the brighter colors, a great of the art style and the other thing that they did with this is majority of the stuff was not in space they didn't fall victim to the space trap like they did with Darius twin right where it felt like everything was the same scrolling background and that's one of the things that I love about the Konami game and especially Salamander that we played earlier this year or Life Force or Life Force Salamander or whatever way you want to pronounce that title because it flip-flops so many times is you get that great variety, that feeling that that you're going through this living, breathing world or this living, breathing organism. It's really well pulled off. And and by extension, the bosses, the sense of scale in that. The first time you see Eclipse Eye, you just see see its eye just flash out in in Eclipse the Sun. I mean, it's aptly named but still so well done to give you feel like you're doing epic battles fighting for your life or your for your tex and whatever have you <laughs> in order to defeat these things and the fact that they're using giant lasers in order to do this too it's very anime-esque but i love it yeah yeah i find myself um playing the original version quite a lot um with the original graphics and I think if you got some nostalgia for the PS1 and early 3D era, um, this game aged pretty well. Yeah, I, I'm curious about your thoughts on that because you know you mentioned this was your favorite shooting game. So yeah, right. Is the is the visual presentation of that something that hooked you when you first played this game? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, when I played Cheetah Rise for the first time, this was on a um, PlayStation 1 demo disc back in 1999. And I bought this demo disc because of uh, a demo of Tony Hawk skateboarding. Mm. And um, yeah, Cheetah Rise was, was the other game on this disc. So uh, when I played this, it took me really by surprise because at this time I haven't played any shooting games for years and um, 
2D graphics and gameplay were slowly vanishing from mainstream because 3D was all around and um, yeah, a 2D game with polygonal graphics was kind of unusual to me, so uh, it really impressed me with its speed and sheer firepower and this 3D or 2.5D uh, optics and um, that was absolutely something that hooked me right away. Yeah, I remember when I first bought G. Darius on the PlayStation, I I was really impressed with how it looked. Now, keeping in mind, of course, that I was playing on a, a 27-inch CRT, had my PlayStation hooked to it through S-Video, and was playing it in a, in a manner that was similar to what I would have experienced had I ever seen this in the arcade, uh, in terms of size of monitor and uh, decent uh, video quality, uh, comparatively speaking. And, yeah, I mean, the the visual presentation did impress me. Number one, because of the cool set pieces. Number two, because of how much there is going on. And number three, how readable it is. Uh, despite the move to 3D... You know, there are some cases where you move to 3D and then there's so much thrown at you that a game like this can be difficult to read. You don't see the bullets, you don't see the enemy is coming in, you don't you don't know the attacks or whatever. But I still feel like this game is visually very readable, which makes it a lot more fun to play than than something else from that era that might that might be less readable or less fun to play because it's just harder to make out what's going on. And there are examples like that. There, you know, there's some less ideal 3D shoot-em-ups that can occasionally be have situations where you, you get lost in the background or in the various enemy bullets and explosions. But I feel like G. Darius remains uh, an easy game to pick up and play because you don't... I never felt like you got lost in, in all the commotion. Yeah, that's right. I often have this um, problems with other 3D um, shmups, uh, but I never had the, this kind of problems with G-Darius. Um, you, you can keep track of everything that's going on, and it's very readable, as you say. And uh, yeah, it works pretty well. Um, moving on to the sound... This is an area that uh, I'm particularly fond of. The, the soundtrack was composed by Hisayoshi Ogura, uh, now formerly of Zintana. Uh, he also did the soundtrack for Darius Gaiden and the classic arcade game Ninja Warriors. Um, one of the things I noted about the soundtrack, even early on when I played, is that it's a little bit non-standard in the sense that in your typical shooting game, you have stage theme, boss theme, stage theme, boss theme. And sometimes the boss theme is unique to each boss or each level. Sometimes it's the same boss theme until maybe you get to the last boss. But in this game, it takes a much different approach where the themes are composed for the game and... So certain stages will have a stage theme and a boss theme. Other stages will have a stage theme 
that carries through the boss. Or, for example, in the uh, case of Fire Fossil, in that stage, you go through and the stage theme carries into the first part of the boss fight. And then at some point, once that theme is over, then the music switches. And it's a different theme for what is effectively the second half of that boss fight. So it's a very different and interesting approach. The other thing, of course, is that the soundtrack itself is much like a lot of Zentada's uh, mid-to-late-90s work, fairly esoteric. Uh, the melodies are different, the, the electronic beats and underpinning of all of it is, is very unique, and I don't know what it is. I can't really explain it, but I love this soundtrack. And, and to me, Zentada's best period was the 90s. I know there's a lot of, of stuff that came before that they did was good. You know, Darius and Darius 2 soundtracks are good. Ninja Warriors, of course, from from uh, Ogura. But realistically, I think from right around Gridseeker from 92 that we played earlier in the podcast, up through uh, G. Darius and Ray Crisis is, to me, Zentata's best period of of music that had the most cool, unique, interesting soundtracks that they ever put out. Yeah, I love the soundtrack too. It doesn't have the the usual catchy tunes, but more of an um, ambient vibe, I'd say, and it serves the game pretty well. Yeah, and I I wouldn't I wouldn't classify the the tunes as not catchy necessarily. But yeah. they're not as immediate as uh, even its predecessor, Darius Gaiden, or the other, you know, the other Darius games and things like that, or even uh, let's say the Ray series. Uh, you know, at least the first two games, I would say, maybe have a bit more immediacy in the melodies and and so forth. This is one of those games that I think when you play it, the the melodies kind of slowly get ingrained as you play, uh, and then the whole vibe that the game has just sort of... I don't know. It just works. I, I'm, I'm not sure how else to explain it. What do you think about the soundtrack, Addicted? I like the soundtrack. Uh, it's not something that I'll be humming but it works very well it's not distracting either and I wouldn't put it in man territory or serviceable either it's just it's different right it's not dealing with the techno vibe or it's not overly bombastic it's really well to keep you engaged but doesn't distract from the action and the same thing goes for the sound effects too it's not uh, I know that we're talking about Gidarius here, but it's not in Raiden, right? As, uh, Raiden, as I'm shooting the gun, the main Vulcan can on that thing, I swear in the Super Raiden or the TurboGrafx board, it sounds like it's popcorn. Mm. Right? The enemy sound effects are really good, but it just feels underpowered when I'm shooting stuff. So none of that happens here. The sound effects 
all work well it's not like they do and it's not blown out on the other end like we did with steel vampire where everything's on like someone's speakers had just uh, overdone it right so it strikes a nice balance and i guess the fact that it, it just goes along with the flow without being too noticeable means they've done a really well job i i don't have the inkling to just get up and just start matching buttons and destroying stuff like i do in thunder force 4 when that soundtrack kicks in or lightning force but at the same time i never felt myself turning it down or saying what the heck was that like with the um, alarm clock wake up noise in Odomedius excellent <laughs> for the warning it it, it 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 does it does a very well job in keeping you engaged and keeping you playing without reminding you that you are playing a video game right it it, it gives a good experience yeah I think atmosphere is the word. Atmosphere, yes. Right, yeah. So now, I want you to take center stage on this, Zoida, with with discussion about scoring, because you actually posted a whole bunch of really good information on the forum thread. Um, So I'd like to walk through this with you. Okay. Um, So scoring. Uh, Of course, you get points for everything you shoot, needless to say. Um, but um, just like in all the other Darius games, um, the enemies in G-Darius um, appear in formations you have to destroy, and if you can take out a whole, inf- a whole formation of enemies, you get a point bonus for this, and the game shows you exactly how much points you get for destroying the whole formation. And there are certain conditions for... Um, multiplying this bonus uh, you get from destroying a formation. For example, um, you get a double bonus for every enemy formation you destroy by using your secondary weapon from captured enemies. So this is usually the green laser bullets um, that are shot by the enemies you captured and you carry along with you. Some of the captured enemies just run into the enemy uh, formations or other enemies, so... um, you get a double bonus um, for enemies or formations that are taken out by uh, enemies you captured. Yeah, and and one thing I want to note on that that I found interesting is you get you get the you get the the two times bonus for the formation itself uh, if you destroy the final enemy in the formation by. Uh, by utilizing your captured enemy's weapon. Now, of course, you get twice the points for every enemy that you destroy with a captured enemy, but the actual formation bonus is doubled as well by only having to take out that final enemy uh, with the with the enemy bullet. So it's kind of a, an interesting way of almost allowing you to to get double the benefit from from using captured enemies to destroy your foes. Uh, exactly, yeah. Which is kind of cool. So if you're if you're learning the game and trying to learn scoring and you're trying to get your score up, but you're having trouble where you can't where you can't take out every enemy in a formation with a captured enemy's bullets or fire, you can still 
at least get that enemy formation bonus by destroying the last one with an enemy bullet. Um, and so it's still kind of a it's it's an intermediate way, I guess, of of helping to increase your score. Right. Yeah. Um, so you get a freefold bonus for um, destroying an enemy formation by using a bomb. Um, as you already said, you can use um, the capture button to detonate an enemy that you captured before. So um, this gives you a bomb effect that's not clean sc- um, sorry, <laughs> screen clearing, but affects um, a certain area of the screen. So every enemy formation that flies into this or gets taken out by this uh, gives you a three times bonus. And um, you get a four times bonus for every enemy formation you destroy by using the alpha beam. So um, yeah, if you feed a captured enemy to your alpha beam and take out enemy formations um, with your beam, you get um, the fourfold bonus. And yeah, you can clean the screen pretty good with your laser. So this is this is pretty effective for scoring. And you can increase that bonus. If you use a captured caption, uh, sorry, <laughs> captured captain, um, to initiate your alpha beam, and uh, yeah, same thing as before, every enemy formation that you can take out with the um, alpha beam you got from the the mid boss gives you six yeah. times the bonus. And I want to say in uh, in Delta. If I remember correctly, if you can use the captain, uh, once you move from outer space into the sort of space station tunnel kind of a thing, um, if you use the captain as your alpha beam, there's a section that has a ton of enemies, and you can really rack up your score by using the alpha beam in that section to take out several formations. Right, this is pretty valuable because it's um, almost impossible to carry the, bo- the mid-boss um, through the whole way until the boss, and um, so this is exactly the section where you want to sacrifice your captured captain to increase your score. Yeah. Okay, then you get a bonus for destroying the boss using your alpha beam, and the bonus increases when you... Um, kill the boss during a beam battle and um, the more beams or the more counters you rack up the higher the bonus and um, yeah if you use a captured mid boss for your alpha beam this even increases the score a little bit further and um, this also affects your technical rank yeah and again if you uh the, the example I'll go back to again is Fire Fossil. During that fight, actually the mid-boss uh, or the captain of that level will come out of Fire Fossil during one phase of its attack. So if you capture that captain during that phase and then save that... Uh, and you're able to keep that captain alive during the next couple of phases you can use it to then 
countered uh, that final beam duel portion. Aiden was never able to do that, but I'm assuming there's a way to make it happen. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty easy. Mm. You can um, use the safe spots. Uh, when Fire Fossil is coming in from the left side, you can sit down in the right uh, lower corner. And um, it doesn't uh, damage you with this flamethrower attack. And after this, you can uh, sit right... Uh, how to explain? <laughs> you can use the safe, safe spot right bef um, beside the boss. Uh, when he shoots these um, laser fans, right, and um, with the mid boss sitting right behind you, if it hasn't taken um, much damage before, it can uh, take the whole uh, the whole section, and um, you can use it for the alpha beam. Maybe you want to uh, suck it in to initiate your beam before. Um, the boss shoots its scales at you. Oh, this is a tricky passage. Um, and if you initiate the beam before that, and uh, yeah, just dodge the scales, you can counter the beam right after that. Hmm. Okay, I'll have to give that a try next time. Yeah, it's it's uh, relatively easy if you uh, use the safe spots, and um, the mid boss can take enough damage to go through the phase. And, um, yeah, it's, it's very doable. Nice. Uh, there's also a bonus for um, saving the captain throughout a boss fight. So if you pick up a captain and um, uh, finish the boss fight without the captain dying, you get a 100,000 points bonus, which isn't this valuable because... Uh, yeah, it's very tricky to do this because, as we already said, the bosses have um, a lot of hit points and it's pretty tricky to maneuver the mid-boss through all the patterns um, and usually you get a higher bonus for uh, laser uh, laser battles or beam battles and or um, defeating the boss with the laser. And I only managed to do this in stage one. Mm, right. Yeah. I, I same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, this isn't really an option because, uh, yeah, as I said, the, the, the points you get through beam battles or beam counters are much more valuable than saving the captain. And um, I guess you lose points this way, so I wouldn't do it. Right. Um, after defeating the final boss, you get a 1 million bonus for every extent left and 300,000 for each captain you captured on your way through the game. So you want to catch as, most, uh, as much captains as possible and um, yeah, if you want to go for score, it's recommended to no miss the game <laughs> because 3 million bonus is quite a number. Yeah. <coughs> Um, we had the three times bonus. Uh, yeah, every boss has destructible parts um, that give you extra points, so you can um, take out the boss piece by piece, so to say. And the M2 gadgets give you information about um, 
the destructible parts of the bosses. So uh, if you want to max out your points at the boss fight, you want to take out all the parts you can destroy. Yeah, and I think the the game does a good job of teaching you that in uh, the in the first boss fight with Eclipse Eye, because you can very easily take out one of the large scales on the side, and then also the the eye in one of the early phases of the fight, and so it kind of shows you that organically as you play. And this has been a staple of the Darius series from the beginning. Allowing you yeah, to right. shoot off the fins of the different fish or or legs of the crab boss and that sort of thing. Uh, so it's it's cool that they're carrying that forward and and um, uh, kind of allowing the series to continue to to have that as part of its legacy. Yeah, right. Yeah, it almost uh, it screams uh, action figure battle damage, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing that I did not put in the notes, but I wanted to touch on, was the technical rank, because you mentioned it, Zoido. Yeah, right. Um, the, there are a ton of different ranks in the game that you can achieve based on on different uh, different things. And of course, some of it is based on scoring, some of it is based on overall performance, how far you get, etc. I'm curious as to if you know more about the technical rank, because when I did my clear, I ended up getting the the Silver Hawk rank. And I want to say that the Golden Hawk uh, is the the highest rank, correct? Alright, yeah. Golden Hawk is the highest rank and um, Silver Hawk is... Uh, I never got a Silver Hawk technical rank, I guess, with clearing the game. I got uh, Silver Hawk with game overs, but mm. never with clearing the game. So it's... Uh, it's quite tricky to to get a good rank um, because there are a lot of uh, conditions you have to fulfill to get a golden hawk or silver hawk rank. And um, I can tell a few things about that if you wish. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I uh, noticed I, I wrote down the conditions that affect the technical rank. And the first thing is the enemy kill rate, enemy kill ratio. So um, you have to destroy everything or as much as possible to get a high rank. Um, then the enemy formation kill ratio. So um, it depends how much whole enemy formations you have destroyed. Then um, this is interesting. Uh, there is a boss hit accuracy ratio. So um, during the boss battles. You want to stop firing when there's nothing to shoot or to damage because the game keeps track of how many shots you fired that miss their target or miss everything. So, um, <clears throat> sorry. Yeah, you, um, if you want a high rank, you have to control your fire. You can't just laser through everything. You have to stop firing when there's nothing to shoot. And, um, that's tricky sometimes because, uh, yeah. And um, I have to read through this. Ah, yeah, right. Um, as I said before, um, the best boss final hit. So destroy the boss with a high level of an alpha beam as possible. 
Um, so you get a high rank for killing bosses with an alpha beam or um, beam counter, and the higher the beam counter level, the higher or the, the more it increases your technical rank. Then there is a captured enemy use efficiency. So um, you have to manage um, your captured enemies a bit. But the game keeps track of how you use them, and uh, if you if they if they got destroyed um, by enemy fire, this lowers your rank. So you want to pick them up and feed them to your alpha beam or bomb them strategically to uh, get bonus or to do damage. And um, all the enemies you captured that got destroyed by enemy fire will lower the rank. Um, then there are points for mileage. So how you f how far you get in the game. The further you get, the higher um, the rank. Then the use of continues. Uh, for every continue you you used, you lose technical rank. And um, the rank is also affected by the power-up level. So the more power-ups you pick up and the higher you level up your weapons, um, the more increases your rank. And uh, of course, the number of lost ship ships also affects your rank, so if you want a high rank you have to no miss the game or lose as, um, uh, try to lose ships at all. I try don't, sorry. <laughs> um, the more ships you lose, the lower gets your rank. And that's pretty much it. I hope this was understandable. Quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm going to award Guru here the rank of Parrot Dog <laughs> for his efforts, I think, in streaming. So I think that works well. But no, I think that uh, some of them were to me were pretty funny. Like Iron Duck, I think, was one of them. Uh, I know that Gold Golden Hawk was the highest, of course, because they are Silver Hawk ships. What were some? There's Swan in there. What were some of the other animals? Well, we already know that uh, Lewis Gossett Jr., his plane went down, so he can only ever achieve Iron Eagle rank. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, we're not going to do a shmup club watches. All right. <laughs> no, yeah, there was there was duck, eagle, swan, condor. Oh, yeah. uh, condor is one of the somewhat higher ranks, I think. I know I got Golden Condor once or twice. Um, I can't think of any yeah. other birds. Yeah, Duck, Owl, Crow, Swan, Eagle, Condor, and Hawk. Owl, that's right. So no no Albatross. <laughs> no Albatross, no. <laughs> I guess the, the highest rank I ever got with a clear was Iron Hawk. Hmm, Okay. Still, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Much better than I could do at the moment. I, I think, as I say, I get Iron Eagle or, I don't know, Golden Duck. I forget the one, <laughs> but if I didn't remember, it wasn't worth mentioning. Yeah. So, my Silverhawk ranking must have been just... I just hit the right combination of, of all the elements that you described, Zoido, to where... Um, I must have had enough K 
captured enemy use efficiency, and I, I it was a one miss that uh, that particular run was a one miss, um, and I was I was full power, I think, by the time I got to to the the final boss fight. So yeah, I yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, I must have I must have just hit enough of the enough of the right. Um, right things that I made it happen. Well, uh, we've kind of shared our thoughts here. Uh, we do have a couple of, of thoughts from the ArfGen community. Most of what's in the thread was Zoido and myself going back and forth. Um, we did have Gollum pipe up and say, I won't have time to join for this month, but I just want to say, this is the very best Kirby game. And you get a billion jillion bombs in this game, so don't forget to use them. <laughs> and I guess in a way that's true. I mean, a billion jillion is a bit of an exaggeration, but yeah, with the capture balls, because you can detonate enemies, obviously, strategically, that gives you a lot more that you can do to uh, get out of hairy situations. Yeah, I had to laugh very hard at this quote because... <laughs> I never thought of it as the best Kirby game, but it's pretty accurate. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean, considering that that Kirby allows you to capture enemies and then use them as as fuel or weaponry or or stealing their powers, kind of a thing. Yeah, it's it's very similar to that. You know, it's you could also say that uh, that uh, in some ways, Gyres is a Kirby game. Then, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then just briefly, Fomacho mentioned, uh, going to have to watch some of your videos and hit the books on all your strategies, because so far I've only gotten to the stage two boss. I want to finish the month strong, though, so let's see how, how much I can improve. Well, thank you to everyone who participated alongside us. I, I think it was kind of the uh, Metal Fro and Zoido show for most of the month, but... Uh, that's okay. You know, some months are like that. You know, even even when you have a decent amount of people participating, not everybody uh, not everybody gets to, to play as much as they want because the month gets busy, and that that happens. Now on to the high scores. Uh, as usual, as per usual, Zoido, you uh, you took the high score with twenty million. 822,220 points and that was a that was a lambda run right and um, that was a, the lambda run right yeah. yeah yeah and i i did the same uh, lambda run or you know similar and ended up with 16,580 16,581,480 points which i thought was uh, pretty decent for as uh, as many years as it's been since I have actively played this game and kind of just watching Icarus's Lambda route run and trying to mimic that as much as I can and then flailing a fair bit throughout the month to do so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's pretty good. Congrats on that. Um, to get a clear in this time isn't isn't easy, I'd say. Um, Jidarius still is a very hard game, and yeah, you have to put a lot of effort in it to learn the boss fights, and 
So getting a clear is very cool. Congrats. Yeah, I think I think part of it is I, I credit fed my way through the game multiple times on the PlayStation over the years. And just a degree of coming back to the game, still understanding the mechanics um, and having played it a fair bit before certainly helped. And again, watching Icarus's run really helped because it gave me some ideas on a couple of the trickier sections to route through that I didn't have to fall on my face several times playing to know how to how to deal with those segments i just sort of kind of went in with that knowledge yeah icarus's one run was my um source of information for the game when i cleared it for the first time too this was a few years back and um nowadays there are a lot of videos online um that are pretty good for learning the game but uh Yeah, there, there weren't much videos around a few years ago, and uh, Icarus' video helped me a lot with it. Right. And um, the, the stage uh, selection mode for um, GDRIS HD is a huge bonus too for the game, because um, yeah, the, the PS1 version only has the, the versus boss fight um, mode, and it's still pretty tough to learn the bosses on your routes um, with the versus boss mode so the stage selection mode or, tra or training mode is uh, yeah, very good for this game Yeah, I, I noticed when I was practicing toward the end game I was of course using save states in the M2 port and I was having difficulty because I had a save state I created just before Lightning Coronatus in Lambda and that save state had the captain with me and having the captain with me was part of my initial strategy uh, and making sure that I had the captain so that I could do a an early uh, alpha beam against the boss to damage it a bunch was part of that strategy but then as I went back and was trying to practice stage four I was having trouble actually reaching the boss with the captain in tow And so it was uh, it was difficult to sort of get over that hump of getting to the boss with the captain along for the ride so that I could actually reach that place where all of my boss practice, you know, had paid off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so final thoughts. What uh, what do we have to say to kind of sum up our G Darius experience? Okay, um, for me personally, it's still the best game of the Darius series. Um, yeah, as already mentioned, it's my favorite shooting game in general, and um, yeah, I like it a bit more than the other Darius games because the level design is a bit more diverse, diversified than uh, in the other games and the. Stages have a high recognition value, and the five-stage layout of the game makes it a bit more compact uh, compared to the other Darius games too, which uh, usually have seven stages. And um, yeah, really hope maybe with the success of the Cosmic uh, Revelation and Collection, and um, yeah, the recent schmop boom 
the title maybe surprises us with a new entry into the series sometime soon. This would be cool. Mm. That would be interesting. Although I would hope they would go a little bit back toward the traditional model, then go the Darius Burst Cosmic uh, or um, Chronicle Saviors route, and just just uh, inundate us with you know thirty thirty nine variants of the same stage with different uh, different goals and things like that. You know, I would like yeah. to see a really well designed. Um, complete stage one to stage whatever experience uh, that we can really sink our teeth into. And then if they want to do extra content and DLC beyond that, that's fine. But I think if they, if they could come back with a base game that is as strong as this or nearly as strong as this, then uh, we would all be winners. Yeah. What about you addicted? Me? Well, I think uh, that my glowing praise throughout this entire podcast has given away my impressions, but I was really impressed by the way this looks and this plays. I think that they did enough to add to the formula without changing what it is at the core of Darius. And I think that the graphics really hold up well. It's music and yeah i would have to say it probably is the very best kirby game <laughs> uh, i i think that anybody who you know even if you've got the mr core on this give it a shot i'm definitely play it and you'd be surprised this is one of the games where i felt like people had high expectations going in told me this is a great game and i think it delivered yeah yeah, for myself, I've long been a fan of this game, and I kind of came to the Darius series a bit late uh, in some ways. I mean, I remember, I think I mentioned on the our Darius Twin episode that I played that uh, at a friend's house when he first rented a Super Nintendo um, when we were kids, and that was my first experience with the series, and then it wasn't until years later when I bought a Saturn and then got Darius Gaiden, kind of on the recommendation of uh, folks on the Shmups forum, uh, that uh, I started to really dig in. And then, and then G. Darius, of course, came after that and uh, just kind of solidified my, my enjoyment and respect for the series. I vacillate frequently uh, between... G. Darius and Darius Gaiden as to which game I like more and which soundtrack I like more. Having put in the time this month and looking at the the sheer depth of this game and how much there is, I'm going to say right now G. Darius has the edge. There's still aspects of Gaiden that I like a lot and who knows, when we actually go to play Gaiden for the Shmup Club, and for the podcast, I may change my tune again. But right now, I'm giving G. Darius the edge because there's just so much to it, and it's so deep and layered that it really has a lot of, of dividends that it can can pay out if you put in the time and through all the multiple stages and multiple mid-stage paths. There's just a lot here, and... I think 
not only the sheer amount of content, but also how well executed everything is, that it really it really stands out as a pinnacle, if not the pinnacle, of this era of early 3D shooting games. So I I personally think this is a high watermark for that era of shooting games, particularly when so much was moving in the Danmaku direction with Cave kind of going into the Dodonpach Esperade uh, sort of direction. Uh, this continuing to fly the, the traditional shooting game flag, I think, really helped exemplify that there was still life left in the genre from the old guard and that um, that there was still uh, a reason to keep coming back to this kind of game. I, I was sort of thinking of this as, how about this for a tagline, Taito, your seafood or, or sea-based entertainment since 1978. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you think about it, they have a legacy, right? Not only did they do the Darius, but they did Space Invaders, which was based upon sea enemies. That's like true. And stuff. So, is Space Invaders take the place inside the Darius universe? Or does Darius take place in space, the Space Invaders universe? Ooh, that's a good question. Is this the prequel we've all been waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> well, all that said, let's talk about what we've got coming next. Uh, coming next, we in June, as we talk about Darius and seafood and sushi sashimi. Ooh, boy. I always have trouble pronouncing that one. We are in the month of Thunder and Lightning with Raiden. Yes. We have the arcade version, the Genesis version, which is known as Raiden Trad, the Super Nintendo version published by Micronix that no <laughs> one should play, the uh, TurboGrafx version with sort of neat popcorn sound effects, but the Super, the Super CD version is pretty cool. It's got a good orchestral soundtrack. Jaguar version, and let's see here, the Lynx, which is pretty good, and of course on Switch, PC, and mobile. So, boot up your gallantry and join us as we uh, make our way through Raiden 1. I I have to say, I was a little bit disappointed. I had forgotten there was no toothpaste laser in this one, so oh, yes. that's okay. The gallantry will definitely get you far. And this game, the original Raiden, kicks off our Summer of Raiden series. So next month it will be Raiden Fighters, which came on the arcade, Xbox 360, PC, and mobile. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to dig into Raiden Fighters in July because it's it's not a game that I have any experience with, and so. I know it plays a lot different, a lot differently than the original Raiden series games, so it'll be interesting to see how it contrasts. Um, particularly because, spoiler alert, the uh, Raiden Fighters was actually not supposed to have been a Raiden game originally. Um, so that'll be a fun little detail we'll get into 
as we as we talk about that game. Yeah, you know, fun, another fun little detail. All that's required to make it a riding game is just coffee and crystals. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm definitely looking forward to talking about some of the variations because the I tried the Super Nintendo port and it. Oh man, it, 1942 PTSD all over again. And the Genesis version was surprisingly better, but yeah, there's some interesting things done with this. It it's almost reminds me of Fantasy Zone, where there's never been. We, I think, yeah, Fantasy Zone, where there's so much differentiation or differences between the ports mm, that yeah. they really are worth all talking about. And I, 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 Gradius, there was a couple, but this game in particular, everyone's got their own little take on it. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to talking about that game in a couple of weeks here. All right. We'd also like to thank Ed of Studio Mudprints and Bullet Heaven, also known as just Mudprints now, I believe, for the logo like to uh, thank everybody who repped a shirt or bought a shirt or you know found a shirt somewhere and is wearing it like to thank Kogusu for the intro and outro music like to thank everybody at RF Generation Playcast and Collector Cast like to thank Zoido for coming on here in this uh, hot mess of a podcast and helping <laughs> us out so much <laughs> and I'd like to thank Metaphor for streaming and always entertaining with his paradox yeah, and I I have to give a uh, a couple of personal shoutouts. Um, first and foremost, to you, addicted for um, graciously hosting uh, me for a little bit when I made my trip to the Chicago area here uh, this last weekend, and uh, you know, getting together and and uh, uh, it finally my getting pleasure. to meet in person and. Uh, you know, spend a little bit of time hanging out and and getting a meal and so forth. And uh, I, I have to say, I'm surprised you survived five hours without saying, "I need to get out of here." This guy is nuts. <laughs> no, I'm I'm good. I mean, you know, I had fun, and so I'm I'm glad we we, we got to do that. Uh, we'll definitely, I'll definitely have to plan a longer trip next time so that um, I can take in more of the area and hopefully, you know hang out with you a little bit a little bit more um, and do that yep. next time you're going to do the burger challenge right you're going to eat uh, was it four pounds of beef or something within four minutes oh yeah I don't remember what it was um, but I did I did conquer the burger that the that the uh, the waiter told me I, I would not conquer so I felt pretty good about that slayer. that's right uh, I also have to give a huge shout out to DJ Psycho M1 um, a Twitch streamer extraordinaire who very graciously hosted me, um, you know, had me had me come over and and hang out and uh, got to got to go check out Prince Arcades in uh, the area with him as well as Galloping Ghost Arcade. Um, shout out to D Tungsten who uh, we met up with there at. Galloping Ghost, and uh, who shared some Darius and Darius 2 action with me. That was a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, DJ Psycho M1 was really 
really very hospitable and um, and then he and I went back to uh, to his house then in the evening and um, and uh, we actually did a stream on his twitch channel a sort of shmup battle if you will and so we played we played some riding we played some uh, armed police batrider some dome potch some uh, one of the games I picked was uh, Vapor Trail. Vapor Trail. And, uh, and then uh, we finished it off with Battle Back Raid. And that was a fun experience. And I definitely want to do that again. And so uh, a huge thank you to DJ Psycho M1 for your hospitality and uh, generosity in uh, hosting me and taking me around the area and uh, uh, just how you how you helped to make the weekend special uh, and so it was a really it was a really fun trip and I'm, I'm glad I got to go and uh, we're definitely gonna have to do that again uh, and hopefully hopefully a longer trip next time so I can so I can see more of galloping ghost and and uh, do more. Uh, and of course, again to Zoido for for uh, being willing to come on and and uh, record with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for asking me. Uh, okay. Anything else that we need to uh, mention or touch on before we close up shop? Yeah, I um, actually wanted to say thank you to both of you guys for putting the effort in every month and bring a high quality podcast to the scene completely for free oh I'm not sure about the high quality but thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah well thank you for that I mean it's it's good to know that our efforts are appreciated and uh, you know we don't always get a lot of feedback on the podcast uh, so I'm glad to hear that people are enjoying it because, um, as I've mentioned before, there are times when it feels like we're we're out here talking into the void. Uh, but I know that we get a you know a decent amount of likes and retweets every time I I post about a new episode, and there are always certain people uh, like DJ Psycho M1 and D Tungsten and Uzoido and others who who mention that they listen to the podcast on a pretty regular basis and. And so, yeah, it's it's always very appreciated. Definitely. And as long as we've got one passionate person listening, we'll keep doing this. Cool. And I have to say, I really like the, the new format with the, um, sh with the new section and, um, yeah, the few things you added recently. Um, yeah, that's just pretty valuable. Yeah, if, uh, if anybody's got suggestions out there, please let us know and we'll add them in. I'm always yeah, keep sure. the feedback. No, I think it's great because uh, it's really hard to keep track of everything that's uh, happening um, around Schmups recently. And um, it's nice to have a monthly summary, what's new, what's coming. And um, yeah, the new segment is really cool. Yeah, and that was that was a suggestion from the community, and so a uh, big thank you to those who have provided us feedback and, and gave us that idea to kind of approach it from that direction. Um, because I realize that you can go out online and all of this stuff is out on Twitter and other places, 
but I think it's nice to sort of compile a lot of those things together, uh, pun intended, um, in, in this format so that when we do the podcast, it sort of allows for a little bit of a time capsule effect as well, because these podcasts are always uh, timed based on, you know, we play the game one month and then we podcast about it the next month. So all the news items that you're getting from the podcast as we do this now are all based around uh, the stuff that's happening around the time that we're recording and in the time leading up to that. And so I think it's a good way to sort of also document some of these things um, so that uh, over the years as as uh, websites die or, or tweets get deleted or buried so far in a thread uh, or a feed that you can't find them anymore, that... Uh, you know, there's still some mention of, of these things, even the small little doujin and, and uh, homebrew games and things that uh, uh, that we can hopefully share and bring to light. Right, yeah. Yeah, who knows? Maybe in another five years, Dispatch Games will actually ship something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's, that's going to be... If that happens... When that happens, and I physically get those things in my hand, that is going to be the top news item for the subsequent podcast, because I will get to say it finally happened. Yeah, I mean, we've already, Natsuki Chronicles is already coming out, right? And that was, what, two years ago? Oh, right. Yeah, the uh, uh, the physical version from First uh, Press Games, I think. Yeah. The fact that, that First Press Games has already pressed two, they've already beat out Dispatch. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we've got. So, we will say thank you for listening, and we will catch you next month. Thank you. <laughs>